0: Thank you for joining us on our journey here to preserve the history of mixed martial arts. When I wanted to take on this project, I needed help. I brought in one of my favorite matchmakers, Miguel Iterate, and the MMA detective, Mike Davis. So to do this, we've been able to preserve history. Welcome and enjoy.
1: Hey, Lights Out Podcast is back. I'm Miguel Iterate. That's the MMA detective, Mike Davis. And we're gathered here today for another deep dive. into. We're in heady territory. We got a guy who's held the UFC title coming in, and uh, Chris is waiting in the wings with him. They're buddies. Mike, what do we got here? Big one for the people.
2: All right, so we got Matt Serra, Long Island legend, as well as um, you know, somebody that is incredibly significant in terms of uh, as a personality with the UFC. And we're going to talk about his, his MMA career prior to the UFC, We're going to mix it up with his Abu Dhabi run, which is kind of a little bit controversial at the end. I think we're hoping he'll be candid about, uh, you know, the finals, the 2001 ADCC finals. And then we're going to extend ourselves all the way into the end of the Ultimate Fighter, where he and Chris meet in the finals. And just, you know, we've heard Chris talk, we've heard Chris's side, but we've never heard Matt's. And I have to assume it's going to be a, uh, you know, pretty candid interview, you know, being that we've got Chris with us.
1: Yeah, they know each other. I know Sarah's not a guy who's known to pull punches anyway, and uh, you know I think that it makes for a good mix that that will have them comfortable from the beginning. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, a little bit of that New York accent never hurt. Too Just one of your mid- people. <laughs> too much Midwest <laughs> crap around here. <laughs> but uh, Mike, Mike, I want to plug, plug, plug a little Midwest stuff called Lights Out Bourbon. I think the people need to listen to us and sip some Lights Out Bourbon. You can get it at consfindwines.com, and they ship in the United States. And uh, that's a shout-out for Chris Blytham. Mike, where are your plugs? I want to get them at, Sarah. Hurry up.
2: All right, let's get, through, let's get through this quick. Ladies and gentlemen, December 3rd and 4th, I'm at the Canterbury Expo Center in Minnesota, uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I'm doing commentary for a grappling and MMA event. I think kickboxing as well. I think i got three events that weekend. Then I've got December 17th here in Chicago um, at – Bourbon Street here on the south side. I'm doing commentary for Ignite FC. And then Tam- uh, Tampa, I'm in Tampa, Florida, February 5th for world class grappling. I'm hosting that along with ADCC head referee Carlos Diaz, Ralph Garcia, and uh, Alex Terosis. We are putting that event on. And let's not also forget that DSI, DSI. EU betdsi.eu. We have a fifty percent whatever money you put down all the way up to a thousand dollars to give you a fifty percent additional deposit for you to gamble. Please go to betdsi.eu and use promo code Lights Out. With that said, Miguel, I have a feeling we're going to be chatting it up on this one. I think I think Matt Sarah is going to you know he's going to bring the stories. I think he's going to be brutally honest. So I'm pretty excited about it. So. Without further ado, Matt Sarah, Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for joining once again.
0: Another fantastic episode. Really excited with all the people who've been paying attention, all the downloads we've been getting, Uh, starting to catch on. You people are understanding what we're doing here. I'm excited right now to be doing my favorite thing, the deep dive. Um, One of my favorite people in this sport. Uh, If you've ever been to my house, you know, I think I probably got one fight picture up and it's uh, me and this gentleman right here. One of my favorite guys in this sport, and really just in general, uh Matt
3: there. Matt, how you doing, brother? Chris, man, it's been a while, dude. I miss you. I, I, time, I'm, I'm too busy. Every, every time I look at scar I have above my eye of 50 stitches from your head, I wish hey. it was a punch. It was from your head. Man, I got, I, got, I, got, I got about four. I got about four.
0: Little dabs on my head because uh, somebody told me I like to lead with my head,
3: and I uh, I think I believe him now. I think. Uh, then, well, you should though, because your head is hard, and you got a <laughs> hard head. And you got a an iron chin. You have a much stronger chin than Frank Trigg, Chris Lytle. Let me tell you. Oh, uh, well, hey, you know
0: what else? I don't have that tramp stamp. You you said I'm not getting beat by a man with a tramp stamp. I loved it. One of my favorite.
1: <laughs> <Thank
3: God. laughs> hey, dude, I'll take you as my last losses is excellent. If Trigg, were, I wouldn't, I'd still be fighting. If that was my last loss with Trigg. I wouldn't, I couldn't have that. Thank God I took him out. That was great. I loved it. He so, wouldn't have been a gracious winner.
0: Yeah. He's he's definitely a more humble loser. I've noticed. Than a yeah. great, a winner. Uh, See, like, what do you say? Exactly. He's more humble now. Yeah. Now, now, Matt, give us a little, uh, I mean, everybody, I'm
3: sure he knows what all you got going on, but go ahead. Give yourself some plugs. What do you got going on right now? Well, I, mean, I just got back from Denver. I shot another episode of Dana White looking for a fight. You know the thing I do with Dana? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Dean, oh, yeah. Thomas. Dean Thomas, our old roommate on Tough Four. Dude, that was a while ago, Tough Four. I can't believe it. But, mm. uh, yeah, so I just got back from Denver. I'm shooting the show. Uh, other than that, I'm just – been, you know, I'm, dude, I'm a homebody. Uh, Chris, you know that. I, I go from my my house to my academy – and that's it. And obviously, back and forth to dance, taking my kids. But that's all I like to do. I travel once in a while when I when I corner the guys, and then uh, and I do the thing with Dana. And that's just about. And then obviously, I do my podcast with Jimmy Norton. Yeah, which, yeah, which is, which is so much fun. He's I brilliant. One yeah.
0: one thing I love about just watching little clips of you at the gym. I mean. If people don't know you, they wouldn't get it. But just seeing how you interact with people is phenomenal, man. Just you still at the gym doing that with people day in day out. Uh, you, I can just tell they absolutely worship you just because of how you are, man. You, the biggest to the smallest, your oldest to youngest, you don't care.
3: You treat everybody great, and uh, that's just who you are. Most people don't get that, but it, it is what it is. I love it. It's funny, man. I, for the first time, and like you know, I've been teaching for over twenty years here on Long Island. You know, so the, like, the for, I never I jump in here and there in the kids class but i it wasn't my thing i let the guys that 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 the, some guys are phenomenal with kids and this and that and i let them do it all this whole time but now more than ever as i'm teaching kids classes like three days a week because i got my kids in it so i got a 12 year old a 10 year old and an eight year old and my eight year old they're all girls as you know chris and the older two they, they split up they're at dance like five days a week but they get their jujitsu and kickboxing in My youngest one, you know, you have a bunch of kids, Chris. You can raise them all the same way, but they all are different. So my youngest one doesn't give a shit about dance. So she's at my school like five days a week. So it's cool, man. That's something I never thought I'd be really into, but my kids brought me into it. Now I'm sitting there teaching the kids class. It's freaking funny. That's awesome. Okay, real quick. uh, i like to get into a background.
0: Could you give us... You know, I don't know this shit, but what what did you do growing up? What sports? What got you from A to B? What got you to where you're at now? How did what did you what did you used to play? Football, soccer?
3: What did you do? Man, I did none of that. Are you at the firehouse? That's right. That's no. Cool. I it. no. I love it. love <laughs> it. You see the lockers in the background? It's great. That's uh, the studio.
0: How Where do you live? I live in the. I live it's in the gym, baby.
1: Those pull out. There's bodies in them. <laughs> I
3: bet. Yeah. <laughs> But um, and you know what? Growing up, it's uh, I, I never, I didn't get it. I wasn't into any sports, you know. And the reason being, I was athletic. You know, my father didn't really watch any of the ball games or anything. You know, so I wasn't really brought up being, hey, man, I'm a fucking Yankees fan. Everybody's like, yo, Yankees, Mets. I'm like, I don't care. I just <laughs> you don't put me anywhere to watch anything with a ball. That's like making a kid eat his, veg- eat his vegetables. I don't, and I don't look down, I don't like judge anybody. People are into different things. So I do. when people are looking forward to the Super Bowl, I have no idea who's in it. You know what I mean? Same thing with the World Series. I just don't give a shit. And I, I don't, and I remember growing up thinking, is there something wrong with me, man? Cause I don't, like all these other kids are loving this stuff and I'm just not, I'll play like with my friends. Like I pick, I play football with them in the field and it's that. But then when it came to high school, and junior high, I should say, middle school now, I say junior high, my kids goof on me like I'm an old man. Man, it's it settled on my, my junior high. It's a Woodland junior high. But nowadays, that's dated. You can't say that shit. You say that shit, your kids are going to look at you like you're like an old man. Anyway, so in my junior high, I, st- I did wrestling for one season. And then I went out the next season, and I was, I just, and I, halfway through, I left. I did not. They were like a bunch of Matt Hughes's. I didn't get along with the coaches. They were fucking dickheads. And I just didn't get along with them. And I'm like, now when I look back, I'm like, was I an immature kid that just couldn't take the, the discipline? I'm like, no, they were fucking idiots. They were just cocky <laughs> guys. I, that's just me, Chris, I'm telling you. I know. A bunch of like, I don't know. I just did not fit in with them. That's what I love about jujitsu. Like, anyway. I don't want to get ahead of myself with that. But mm-hmm. my point is, I would do some martial arts with my father. He did Wing Chun Kung Fu. So I did hours of fucking trapping. And then I'd get into a fucking street fight. I'd start off with a chain punch and I'd do a double leg I learned from that season in wrestling. That's why I, <laughs> that's why I knew when I seen those tapes of the Gracie's eventually, I go, oh, this makes sense. The fuck? I'd always revert back to my one season of junior high fucking wrestling when i get to a street altercation and my instincts and those hours of trapping wing chung when i right out the fucking window anyway i think i took a left turn somewhere but hey, well, good good you guys, know was not know. surprised is chris chris spent six weeks he yeah, knows, like, minute, I, I,
1: I got a couple of questions about that time for you matt because sure like obviously now you're you're you know a world-class athlete kind of thing but like did you not catch on there cuz you got a wrestler's body. I would think that you would have caught on to wrestling like right away like kind of thing.
3: What what happened there is it just was it like you just didn't like it? No. You know what? 7th grade I didn't really develop yet. I was a weak kid. Uh, okay. I was like and I wasn't I wasn't awful. I wasn't bad. I was doing okay. But uh and in 8th grade I started to develop but by eighth grade, I was a little bit more of a chip on the shoulder on my shoulder because uh, I got messed with a lot in seventh grade. It's one of those stories, you know. Oh, okay. And then uh, I developed over between seventh and eighth grade over that summer, and I had a fucking hit list of the bullies that were fucking with me. So I was picking off people. I mean, the right way with my fucking fists. I was <laughs> like the I was like a little eighth grade Punisher in that motherfucker. <laughs> 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 Listen. I, nowadays I understand it's good to jump on this bully thing because the kids don't get messed with this and that. But it, dude, it kind of made me hard, man. It made me like, you know, game, I don't know. I don't know what it awoken in me because I was always a silly guy, but I was getting pushed around in, in in seventh grade. And it, and it just, it's one of those things where like nobody's helping you. And like, it's almost, a, it's a good thing in hindsight because I, it made me just have such a disgust for anybody that's fucking a bully. And then, but, Matt, but, but Matt, you gotta look at it like this: like you have that mentality.
0: People are weak now, man. They can't deal with anything, so they just shell up. I, I don't know. Like you're right. I think that's important for you to go through and, and overcome. People are just, man. They just can't deal with anything anymore. I don't know what it is. I think it's whole society how we coddle them. But people are just. It, it's embarrassing, man. I, I don't know what to say. You, you would think you're right because look at those people, the places where it's hard to live. Those people are badasses. Uzbekistan, you know, those people are beating all our ass because it's tough there and and you could get picked on and that's what happens. But here we're just soft, man. I don't get it. It bothers me. (laughs)
2: It's getting worse and worse, man. I know. (laughs) know, It's a good check and balance. Like nobody likes a bully, but it keeps the internet, you know, a little chatter in check. You know, it's not, it's not all bad.
0: It's not, it's not all bad, and uh, I don't. I I did love it. We were on the reality show, and, you know. Your your friend Layman or Mark, or whatever, was coming in talking, and you came out around the corner. And just uh, gave him hell right away. Like, now nah, you're not gonna talk crazy, but it. it was uh, it was awesome. Thank like you. You definitely like. I have an anti bully <laughs> organization, and we don't. All we do is try and stand up to boys, and I think that's who you are. You're always gonna stand up for
3: people, man. Yeah, I think it's part of your own personal journey too. You know, like I said, when you when you've been on the other end. You know, you you see what it's like. You know, so I mean, I don't know. I don't like anybody that abuses any kind of power. You know what I mean? Whether Agreed. you know, f- whether it's physically or there's that old saying, and, and this is something to do with it. And I, I I get livid over this too with people that are like like Muhammad Ali once said like he doesn't like anybody that's rude to the waiter the waiter waiter because, yeah to the to a waiter mm-hmm. because he would be that they would treat him the same way if he was in that. In that, in it, if, he, if he held that position, so it's like you know from what. Well, you always were smart. You always were smart. You had the fireman job too. But God knows, I had no net, so I could have easily been any occupation. So I try to be. I mean, regardless, I would like to think I'd be humble anyway. But when I see people, when I'm out with people, and they're rude to the staff or something. I'm like, yo, you, you better start saying thank you or please. Or I'm getting the, one of us is leaving. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not fucking having it. I can't have it, dude. It, 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 it just. Cause then they see me with these people, with person who's being rude, and I'm like, Dude.
0: "That's you, then,
3: by extension." That's funny you say that, cause I
0: brought that up just the other day. The exact same saying for Muhammad Ali. That's awesome, oh, it's uh, good. Mike. I know, I know, Mike, you're chomping the bent, brother. So I'm gonna let you get started, cause Mike has a whole. He's got papers of research he's been doing. So Mike, go ahead, man, ask some questions. Oh shit, man. Yeah, so oh, he, man, he, he this is what we do. We take
2: a slow walk through your career. We try okay. not to skip ahead, and we document history. It's super important, and the beginnings of people's careers are often forgotten because of what you did on a big stage, but the roots of the tree are just as important as the fruit. So everybody that comes on here, they go through the same process. Our format doesn't change. So we're going to start with Lou Neglia. He was your first promoter. You fought for him. At least the first fight that I could find online was April 1st, 1998. He promoted a show called Vengeance at the Vanderbilt, but here's the thing. New York is a huge metropolitan area, one of the most populated cities in the world, and he only had one promoter there. Like no one could pull off a show except
3: Lou, and I think there were some political th- I I Could you explain that situation to us? No, not at all. I don't know any of the how, how, as far as him being the only promoter in town, I don't I have no idea. He's a good man. He used to be a kickboxing uh He had a kickboxing school in in Brooklyn forever. um, During my career, uh, he's friends with Ray Longo, and Ray Longo used to bring me down there to get some different looks, different bodies to spar with. And, uh, you know, he's a legit martial artist, and he's a fair promoter. Lou Negley was a good guy. You deal with some sleazebags out there. He's not one of them. I like Lou a lot. Lou's a good man. But as far as him being the only promoter in town, I – I don't even know anything. You know as much as me with that.
1: Well, the thing is, the thing about it is that the MMA was pretty illegal in general in New York. Like there were there weren't like yeah. small shows. Everything in New York City was underground. Yes. And Lou Lou very connected could probably pull it off. He also had shows with kickboxing rules and the Vanderbilt is also a, a venue that politically did boxing shows and stuff like that. So I think they had a little pocket of freedom there that they well, uh, that they worked with. As far as with me, they're, they're and, also Italians too.
3: Just mentioning yeah, that. <laughs> my my experience before I got I got my most of my all my real experience like fighting. I'm not saying fighting legit guys because you got to understand the times. This was m- late '90s, mid to late '90s. Late. After, it was like '98. 1998. Yeah uh that was with who by the way that was with. there was uh you fought the captain of the russian sambo team Cosmod- all right So, like how about video. this a year before that i fought another gentleman malik something or rather big tall black wing chung guy it was actually like, it was no and it was awful i took him it was huge it was no, this is the thing with that promotion it's not like um king of the cage and all these legit it's not that it wasn't a legit promotion he had great – it was a kickboxing card, uh, and they had some Muay Thai fights on there. He would slip me onto these cards as a freestyle grappling exhibition, they'd call it sometimes. But they were fights. Like, they were fights, but it was illegal. But It wasn't even MMA back then. It was NHB. NHB. <laughs> I it was no holds barred. So it's not like we can go here and be like, oh, we're having a sanctioned whatever. As far as people saying how many fights – I had, like, eight fights of those. Like, I think seven – Six or seven at the Vanderbilt and then one at the Copeland Cabana in Manhattan, which is cool because wow. that had some history there. Mm-hmm. I unlocked Scott Schultz there, who's actually another jiu-jitsu guy. Tai yes. Kai jiu-jitsu. He jumped the guard. One guy, the first guy he ever jumped the guard on me. I passed his guard and locked his ass. That's not the point. The point <laughs> is he jumped the fucking guard on me. What's he thinking? Anyway, <laughs> the thing is this. I, all those fights, if they, they, they're basically not like, Lee, they weren't like legal like i guess i don't know uh, so, so none of those, if, they, if nobody wants to count them on my record i don't give a shit no, they they're not on your record right what's that Th- they're not on your record correct they're I mean, there i don't know well, what my yeah i mean they're, they're, they're real they're real oh, fine, they are
2: but well, well I, here you're listed as two and one and you're a purple belt this was on espn no too. two and one
3: I didn't lose. I never lost. Before. My first loss was in the UFC versus Shoney Carter.
2: Okay. So, that's, so that's, that's you were listed on ESPN2 as two and one. You came in against uh, the Russian Army Sambo team, captain. Yeah, and
3: He was, he was tough. Com, his name is Kamzat, that guy.
2: Kamzat. Yeah. <laughs> so he throws you, yes. and your transition into an armbar
3: yeah. was
2: mind-blowing.
3: Thank you. Like, it was very was cutting bar.
1: edge.
3: Yeah. He had a huge head. And – um. <laughs> I remember he was the first, because I before him, so that was 1998. I had two fights before I fought him. So, again, tracking him down, whatever, you guys, whatever, I have him somewhere. But the the guys I fought behind him before him was this big, uh, like a I told you, the big black gentleman. Was it at Bama fights? No, that's a shoe fighting match. Yeah, that was that day. That was a shoot fighting match. There was no striking on the floor for that. I choked that guy out like a second And then the one you're talking about, but he had a rope escape. So, and and with the one that you're talking about, that was my first time ever competing in any kind of combat sport. It was a shoot fighting match at Dan, the big Dan's uh, school in Elizabeth, New Jersey. And uh, that had nothing to do with Neglia. That was Dan's promotion, Bama, over at bat, whatever it was. It was a shoe fighting match. And I choked the guy out real quick. And then I took him down. I kept mounting him. And he knew enough jujitsu to be playing tight. And I got so exhausted. The reason being is Henzo, who is I love him, but you know, he's a little out of his mind sometimes. I asked him Henzo, any, I, my first time ever competing, any advice for me to do that day or whatever to eat this and that. You know, I'm thinking the Gracies, the fucking Gracie diet, and this and that. Henzo's from the different side of the, the family. Gracie yeah. diet, man. He's, he's not the opposite of that. So he goes, Man, go to GNC and take a, a ripping fuel. That's ripped Fuel. Now, back then, it's you like go, mass. take one of those? One pill, you feel good all day. Fuck, okay. You're fucking Hansel Gracie. Fuck, you're not going to see me wrong. <laughs> so I went, I got a bottle of ripping Fuel, right? I'm backstage. I'm like, oh, I'm a little nervous. Took one. Fuck it, man. I'm going to take a couple more. Bing, bing. It's fucking ephedra. Now, is yeah. not even legal. Yeah, even, Now, it's not even legal. You can't yeah. have that now. They so took it
1: off the shelf, right? I had, if
3: you ever had and they took that off the shelves. So I was dialed in like a fucking pit bull. When that thing started, <laughs> I took this fucking hillbilly down, got his back, strangled him. It would have been a literally under 10 second fight. He grabs a rope. It's a rope escape. So we start again, put him down again. And now he gets out. Uh, and so I went for an arm bar or something back up. And dude, I'm getting tunnel vision I'm, my heart's beating. I'm like, and I and that's and I was in phenomenal shape. I was a kid. And I'm like, this fighting is fucking (laughs) exhausting. Meanwhile, I'm on fucking how many milligrams of ephedra. I could have dropped egg. The fuck? (laughs) Anyway, I won the fight because I made him tap and I dominated him next 10 minutes. I couldn't. We tapped him like four times. I tapped him once. This guy. It looked like. Well, I was all over his ass, but we were like sweaty. And then I started getting uh, tired because I had fucking how many, I shouldn't have took that ephedra. I don't know what I was doing as a kid that's when I was like 22, that was that was before you, what you've seen in, in uh, Lou Negley's events, but anyway back to Lou's stuff, that shit was all you know, slipping me on here, slipping me on there had but all he, own-
2: he did that because you were a huge ticket seller
3: oh I used to, oh yeah, back then oh yeah, I, I had all Long Island going Yeah, for sure,
2: dude they were chanting his name Matt got the Brazil treatment, like they would chant tra- Jiu-Jitsu, jitsu oh, yeah. when Matt was transitioning. Like, <laughs> he was, like, from Rio or something. They, they
0: were educated. Fans were actually educated. That's surprising. Yeah, it was, it back was, in it 98, it nobody knew Enzo.
3: shit. Man, it was a different time, man. I, I got a
0: question. After that first fight, uh, when we drank all that, is that when you really learned you got to kind of – you can't really listen to Henzo all the time. You got to take everything with a grain of <laughs> salt because, I mean, he kind of led you in the wrong way.
3: Not intentionally, but did you realize, I got to be careful with this guy. <laughs> Hendzo is uh, Hanzo, <laughs> Hanzo is uh, an individual that marches to the to the beat of his own drummer. He would he would never tell me anything that he wouldn't do himself. But he oh, was, I know. But he's also. But well, like, look what he would do. He's a little crazy in a sense where <laughs> like, there's sometimes when he's taking a fight like back He had to do what he had to do to stay in this country because he had a bad dealings with his first American business partner and he had to, you know, do his thing to get his papers and and then he had to fight to, to you know, he, the, the now his academy's, you know, he's all over the place and he deserves everything he has, but I seen the early beginnings and it was a struggle even to see if he's staying here type of thing. So he was taking fights back to back and I'm like, dude, are you even like prepared to go for this? <laughs> and he would just, he would just, wouldn't give a fuck, man. He, he really, so like, so for me, I can't be ever offended. Be like, oh, why would Hensel try to tell me to take that fight, like whatever, and just cut the weight when I'm there, whatever it is in Japan, or because that's what something he would do. Like, it just no, I know I
0: understand that. I understand. I'm just saying, is this when you realize I got to be careful. I can't just listen to whatever he says. And take, I got like, hey, maybe I got to weigh the options because I can't just do everything he says. That when you learn, this guy's a little off, man. I like him, but you know what I mean.
3: I did. Oh, you
0: already
3: know that, my man. No, no, no. It. I didn't at all because I didn't know what even a ephedra was. I didn't know what that. I didn't know I was tired. I didn't know I was tired because of those fucking pills. I thought I was just like, yo, fighting's tiring, and I kind of reverted back to I was like, <laughs> like, I'm like, yo, this shit's fuck. I got to train harder. have helped me. I probably even trained harder and shit because I'm like, yo, this shit's exhausting, man. You know what I mean? Matt, was let, let, I was about to have a harder day. Let
1: me ask you, Matt. When when did you meet Henzo, Though, like, so obviously by this time you're. You know, he's in your corner kind of thing. Like, how how was the actual meeting and, and you yeah. jitsu for
3: me? The first time I met him might have been a seminar at that same Bama place. But that before, that's not when I, he was in my corner. But I met him. He did a seminar there once. And that's when I think I was already training with Craig Kukuk. Craig Kukuk was his – this is what happened. Craig Kukuk was with the Gracie family in Torrance. And uh, Horian and him, and he got his black belt from them. He went to Brazil. He was on the, he was training with Elio and Hoyler. And he, then he got kicked out from them for some business dealings. Horion and Kukuk were probably a little bit alike. And they had some business problems. So I used to be on something called the Gracie Newsletter. I was, I guess, 17 years old. So he used to say, oh, we're promoting our first American black belt, Craig Kukuk. And then like the next newsletter was like a couple months later, Oh, we kicked out Craig Kukakis. Oh my God, well, they couldn't erase this dude's knowledge. You know what I mean? And I found out <laughs> they took it away. He doesn't hold the standards of a black belt. Meanwhile, the week before he was fucking whatever. So I found out that dude was training in a, a class in Manhattan in like the village of this judo club, Oishi's Judo, uh, one day a week in Manhattan. Back in early 90s. This is, I forgot exactly when. But Hensel came in 96. So this is probably 94 or 93 or something. And I, I was only there one day a week. And then I would get another day. I'd go to New Jersey and like drive a couple hours to Red Bank, New Jersey to get a private lesson with the guy. It wasn't available back then. There was no internet. There was no fucking, there was no way you could just learn without getting an individual to teach you, you know? And, it was, and it's not like now where there's a jujitsu school on every other block or, you know what I mean? There was nobody on the East Coast, but Steve Maxwell, that guy was in Philadelphia, under the Gracies. And then this guy, Craig Kukuk. Eventually he started coming three days a week to the city. Two years later, Henzo Gracie shows up and he shows up at the in-school tournament where all the students that were already there had a big, and, and Craig had a school in Jersey at the time. And they'd all come together for this little in-school tournament. And it was, it was kind of a way of welcoming Henzo. And it was the Crazy Kukuk uh, Academy on 27th street, Manhattan. And that was i'll never forget because that was i competed there and i got i got some of it on tape somewhere and i remember Henzo seeing me and just like shaking his head like watching cuz i i submitted uh, submitted i think I submitted, I submitted maybe three out of the four guys or whatever it was they were all it was weird cuz they were all either training partners or from the, the other school in new jersey but it, i got this little tiny little medal first place it was a tiny little thing but it was the only thing i ever won in my life because i never competed wow you saw it's like a wrestling match here and there as a kid and i remember being like and i remember asking my other buddy there i'm like Yo, who do you got next and this guy dave and he was a nice guy correctional he's like man i don't really take this seriously this and that and i remember being so serious about it and he saw me get a little bit like not offended but a little he goes oh but it's cool that you're like you're into it but i'm like and then i won that fucking thing and i'm glad i was so into it because fuck look what i mean you know what i mean like mm-hmm. other people treat it like a hobby and this and that and i'm like "Yo, this is this is something else, man. I just loved I just fell in love with jujitsu so early on and and the fact and I just I don't know that was my college, you know what I mean? That's where I was right out of high school. That's where I was. Matt, Matt
0: did you know did you know when you were at the gym that you were just a level above everybody else? I mean, could you always
3: tell that, or was it till that competition that you knew it? Well, what it was is is I was like, I, I was pretty much, I mean, it's I was just so dedicated to training. I just loved it so much that I would put a lot of time into it. So I would, I'd come home, I'd get mats in my garage, I'd be doing stuff with my brothers, and I would uh, meet up. I, I met Ray Longo down at that. I met him earlier and when I went to bring a friend to, who wanted to try martial arts, and the kid knew I knew some stuff a little bit. So he wanted to check out a, J, a Jeet Kune Do slash kickboxing school, and that was Ray Longo's. And that was when I was 17. So it's the first time I met him. And then I met him again. The next time I seen him was years later at oishi club when we was at craig kukuk's class I go, oh it is that big fucking italian guy so we became friends and he actually gave me a key to his gym eventually so i'd get another day of training i meet guys there to train so i was just like living it it wasn't a, it wasn't like a hobby for me it was, it's all i would do i would even get a job i eventually got a job as a security all-night security job just so i could like do that at night sleep yeah. at 10 and then go to manhattan train and then go back and do it all over again. And again, eventually, that's what Henzo said. Look, man, you're training like shit. What's the problem? Told him I'm, I'm fucking exhausted. And right there, he told me to quit that job and work here with me. Uh, so, I mean, that's that's why, I, you know, loyalty is something. where Like, Henzo, I'll do anything for Henzo to the day I die, because the guy really mm. changed my life. You know what I mean? Mm. He took me out of that security guard booth with that fucking clip on tie.
1: And... Uh, <laughs>
3: He had me be, I was there from, I was teaching classes for him and basically living off private lessons, you know, the other day, the next day I showed up, I remember I went there early and I got all cleaning products and I was clearing, I was fucking scrubbing the urinals. Happy as fuck. Happy. What are you doing, man? Why are you, I'm doing, this is my job now. Happy. You know, anyway, it led to good things. Mm-hmm. I love hey, it
2: so you, I mean, we're, we're going to kind of fast forward. So you talked about Scott Schultz already. Yeah. And Lou actually tests you against a stand-up guy when he brought in a pretty accomplished kickboxer and Graham, Graham Lewis, Lewis? from
3: Graham Lewis? Hicksville,
2: New York. Yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah, he was legit, Graham Lewis. He, he was. But he was a B-side, very durable. But, man, that guy was no joke. Yeah, it's funny that you that you know who that guy is because people thought i beat up an old man. At the time, he was no. in his 30s. And he was a legit kickboxer. Legit. You know? All you had to do was watch his other
2: fights. That guy was legit tough. And that was, in my opinion, that was your first true test.
3: Oh, that's it. Well, Comzat was, I'm telling you, that dude. Well, I know, I, for sure. No, you're right. I did I right. work to him, but that dude wizarded me down. And I popped that fucking arm, and he wasn't You made it him.
2: so easy, though.
3: It looked cool as shit. But, uh, but I'll tell you, that was that was a legit guy. You know, because he's yeah. was calm as hell. That poor son of a gun. He fought me, and then his next fight is a Carlo almeida and he was doing well. He's uh, not doing well, but you could tell he was sprawling. And then Ricardo the did a, a rolling knee bar. So that poor guy had me and Ricardo. That guy could have. I'm not bragging, but he, you know, he could have done well. He got some wins. He's, <laughs> he's like this poor tough, I, so, tough. But, yeah. I mean, he could have had an easier, you know, introduction, but. Anyway. So you go from there, you get a real quick guillotine over
2: Jeff Telvey, yeah. who, another local guy. But this is where things really get hey, interesting.
3: He went on to be a black belt, I believe, Jeff Telvey, yeah. He trained after that and became a black belt. That's funny. So that's in January 29 to 2000.
2: In July 4th of 2000, we had Joe Hilde Oliveira on, talking about his experience against you. Why don't you walk us through this and then we'll give... Like our, our perspective, this is incredible. It's for Pride Nine. It's a canceled bout against Joe de Oliveira.
3: Yeah, like look, my, my, when I first got to the UFC, I was twenty six, right? People know me as a UFC fighter. I am a UFC fighter, but before that, I was gonna fight in Pride, and I was set up to fight Joe Hill Oliveira, uh, who is a Lutra Libra fighter. So people, know, Libre, yeah, Lutra, Lutra yeah, hell yeah, Lutra Libre, they, they they have an ancient, like an old school wi- rivalry with uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, you know. They were, Hugo they, were, they were the original no-gi jujitsu guys, you know, from yeah. Brazil, from like the favelas or whatever else. So this dude was a was a bad dude. He was tough. Joe Hill. An old school guy. And I was looking forward to it a lot. Just from the from the history and the um beat Pele Landis. Yeah, man. No, he was almost a hundred, almost a hundred headbutts in one fight. He was a legit, a legit, yes. legit old school Lucha Leva fighter. I was a new school, Henzo Gracie, um, first Henzo's first black belt. and uh,
2: Fantastic.
3: On paper. What, what, I, was, there, was, was there a lot of like pride as the fact
0: like this is Jiu Jitsu versus Ute Lever. I got to win
3: based on my clan in a way. Was that, was that kind of like that? <coughs> Back then, yes. Yes. A hundred percent. That's what I thought. And it was also, I was still in that Jujitsu versus everyone type of ma- mindset.
1: Yeah.
3: You know? I mean, I didn't even develop. My striking where it should be at that back then i was still in the mindset of get a guy down and take him out there that's where you know that's where i was so uh so we're about to we are over there in japan and we're backstage and the the, the little japanese lady comes up she goes okay don't walk past the x you know because the fireworks she means like the pyrotechnics you know so i'm like oh okay i get you so, there must have been a language problem because I'm back, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. I'm in my, I mean, back then I used to walk out in the geese, so I had the geese on, and, and I'm like, yo, this is taking a while, man. How long does this guy take the walk to the cage? Because I heard his music come on. So then Mark Kerr runs over. Mark Kerr is this, if people don't know who he is, huge, big, <laughs> full of, if you're listening a, to this, they know him. Smashing machine. Yeah. Smashing <laughs> machine. And uh, he is, but he had a little feminine voice, you know. So he comes over to Henzo, like Henzo's some fucking doctor. Henzo, Henzo, it's horrible. (laughs) He was on fire. And I'm like, what the fuck? And and then Henzo ran off. So what happened was Joe, and there's a tape of this somewhere. Joe Hill walked out and he he got in front of the X by the Pyrotechnics.
2: He stood in front of the X.
3: He stood stood in front of the X. And it was nasty, man. You see him. He got like 45% of his body. He had how much? What's
2: 70%.
3: Oh, I'm way. Oh my God. Yeah. And, yeah. Dude, that poor guy. I don't even know what he got compensated, but I'm sure it wasn't worth it. You know? So mm-hmm. ended up me being like, yo, I guess the fight's off. <laughs> you know? Fuck. So I, I didn't know what to do at the time, man. Cause I was like in such good shape, but this is so weird how things work out. Cause I go, you know what? And this that just brings back to me and Miguel, actually. I go, I was twenty five and I'm like, what am I gonna I need to do something. I need to fucking do something, man. I'm it's like getting ready.
2: Well, before we get to that, let's oh. let's finish with Dale Oliveira. Okay. What was the conversation like with the promotion?
3: Oh, I don't no, I don't even remember. Like and as far as having me back?
2: I mean, yeah, I mean, it was just you got your show money, I'm assuming.
3: I got my show money, but it was more... I just remember being so livid that I wasn't fighting, you know?
2: So, Chris, if you look at this in the proper context, Hugo Duarte Hickson, legendary beach fight. Now Henzo, obviously a member of the Gracie family, he's got his first Black American black belt, and he's got so much confidence in him, he sends him against one of Hugo Duarte's top students and Joe de Rivera. Like, this has got... Old school Brazilian roots exactly. and rivalry written all over it, and yeah, it unfortunately got ruined by the pyrotechnics. Yeah. That's
1: good pride matchmaking, right there. You know what I mean? Fantastic. And, and, and you know, uh, Matt, I was there that day. I was oh, in Joe. Cool. I was in Joe Hill's corner. Uh, I was there with the guy who fought a Kira Soja. I was there with John Rankins, but we were in his uh, locker room. Oh, and wow. you're right about Kirk. Kerr came back. You could smell burned <laughs> flesh in the arena, and Kerr was there with. uh Rico Rodriguez was making his debut. Kurt was cornering Rico, and they were in our locker, and Kurt came in, and he was like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You got to do the voice. Miguel, do the voice. Uh, you know, Kurt had this way of being like, it's disgusting. Sorry. smell. I can't. How can we fight? You know, like. He, he got like, cooked alive.
0: Yeah. Enzo, <laughs>
3: Enzo, Enzo threw a bucket of water on the guy. I don't know if no, you know. Really? Oh, wow. yes, 100%. And they're like, sure. they were letting him like he was like, ah, and I don't know if you're supposed to do that, but I don't know. <laughs> goes, the Japanese guys, I don't know, Chris, you probably know better than me. So they're not supposed to do <laughs> hey, listen, dude. You could take the guy out of the jungle, but anyway, <laughs> Enzo tells me, Henzo goes, Enzo goes, Man, they were letting him just sit there and burn. I go, and I saw the water, and I threw it on him. I go, You'll feel better. And he goes, Oh, yeah, thank you. I go, <laughs> I just remember being like. I don't know if that's what you're supposed to do, and I and obviously you're not, I guess.
2: So in I, an interview, I, in interview with Joe Hill, he said he spent three months in in a hospital in Japan, and as he got to the hospital, one of the pride lawyers came and made him sign some paperwork. Within thirty <laughs> minutes of being in the hospital, yeah, yeah,
0: probably on pain bills. Hey Matt, the real question is: after that non-fight, did you go out to Roppongi that night? Uh, no.
3: Oh, Roppongi. Roppongi. I, I, yeah, oh, Roppongi. Uh <laughs> It's like that scene out of Overboard. Tofudi. Tofudi Roppongi. claim. Tofutti, oh, Um. Yeah, I might have, to be honest, but know what it is? I stayed in shape for that. And that's what I'm like, yo, I need to do something. What am I going to do? And then I found out there was these Abu Dhabi trials, an eight-man tournament. If you the winner goes to Abu Dhabi. So mm-hmm. I remember and this is what I mean by when you were saying live, do you not like some things you don't leave in Henzo's hands? Because I remember this is kind of goes back to that. Cause I remember I remember saying it there in Japan still. So I'm like, look, I'm gonna do this, I'll do this. I I wanna go in this tournament. Henzo goes, ah, just get I'll get you over to Abu Dhabi, I'll call the prince. I go, ah, just in case, you know, maybe you forget or some shit. Fuck it, let me, I wanna compete. So I got in there somehow. I forgot how I got in it was fucking probably
2: paid
1: no, no 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 he didn't, no, he didn't
3: pay my didn't pay. i mean i, no, I, I don't, mean, make I don't want to be that work. guy but fuck no, <laughs> yeah, Matt, you he, were he, happy he, to have me
1: <laughs> but yeah, it was, no, we were though and you drove all the way to evansville so it's not like you didn't pay your dues but like, uh but it, your it, resume it, was real good
3: let's just say that <laughs> I had, I had a decent resume and it was i know what's nice about that i remember that to this day i'm sure i don't know if you ever heard of sean williams he's a Hensel gracie black belt but myself Sean Williams, Chad LeBron, and Paul Creighton, all black belts now. We took a, a road trip. One of our guys worked in a, a, a car a, a car lot, whatever it was, and a car dealership. We rented a fucking nice-sized truck, and we road tripped there to Indiana. I forgot how long that was. But it it's probably 12 to 13 hours. Oh, yeah. down to Evansville, probably longer than that. From, from it, was, long uh, it was an adventure, man. It was an adventure, and it worked out great. You know, I... Who was your first I'd, opponent? It was a, a tall, lanky black gentleman. And uh, what was his name? Was he from he was Oklahoma? He was an MMA fighter. And I forgot his name, but I got him in an arm lock. I jumped the guard. He had long-ass arms. He was supposed to fight, I think, Paul Rodriguez in a fight. Andrew. He couldn't fight because I busted. I, I, I took that guy's arm bad. Tall, lanky guy. Miguel will know better than me.
1: Was it C.J. Fernandez? Uh, uh, I don't know. Miguel? I mean. That... that could very well be you'd have to we look.
3: realize we can't no no listen, i spent over an hour on it i couldn't find it i called I danny know, gilbert i no i went with listen hey, hey dude i'm still scrubbing that smell off that dude had that tactic dan gilbert now look fun, listen nice guy nice enough for sure i remember strong strong guy but uh you know i worked him totally i went to guard and and uh you know, he Actually, I think he went for a leg lock, too. But anyway, I remember afterwards, I just, uh, this, he was one of those guys that you have your guys that don't shower on purpose to try to, he's that guy. If he's not, then he's a dirty motherfucker. <laughs> I remember afterwards, Paul and, and and Chad, they came over, man, don't, well, like, hey, man, the fuck, it ain't my fault. I went out that night, I remember just scrubbing, smelled like this dude. Anyway, <laughs> <You were, laughs> He deserved that rear naked choke And a little pat on the head But he was a nice enough guy after. He right. got out of a couple arm bars That were pretty surprising He got out of, got out of arm locks um, yeah. One time I jumped the guard Learned my lesson When he, he, he fucking jumped down and slammed me I, And uh, I should have known better And I saw a little white flash Where I'm like, ooh, that could have knocked me out Took his arm again, he got out of that It led to his back I got his ass eventually He was, he was good First time, he was good Dennis Holman was in there, and he got injured before we got to each other. And then I got Paul Rodriguez with a standing guillotine in the in the, uh, the finals. And I got me Abu Dhabi, you know. And and that, so Paul
2: Rodriguez at the time he was from uh, Internal was good. Power Martial Arts from well, he,
3: Orlando. Well, he's Dean Thomas's. Uh, yeah,
2: he's right. an
3: ATT guy and, now. Yeah, yeah he, he was a legit guy. Yeah, he's in Orlando. Stuff. He's got a school in Florida somewhere. Yeah, but Orlando. He, uh, he was Dean Thomas's old buddy. What year,
1: what year is this? Is this
3: 2001 or 2000? No, 2000.
1: 2000. 2000. yeah, these, these were the trials to get to the 2001 Abu Dhabi. Yeah. Get, what the year did I do that? Of, was that 2000? You, you, you did it with Holman in the following year. Like okay. you fought Holman in the second okay. Holman's so second. The, in the only fall.
2: way to get to Abu Dhabi, you know, outside of going right to one of the princes at this time, was through Miguel.
1: So yeah, Not really. What? That's I, so okay, so, I could guarantee if you won the trials, I had the ability to guarantee that you went to Abu Dhabi. That was very strong for our promotion. But, you know, Matt made reference to it with, with someone like Henzo, who had been there since the very beginning, had friends and connections there. He was going to get a team in, right? You know, he didn't need me. Henzo didn't need me. Matt Hume didn't no, need me. For sure. No. Good, you know, Hume did me the honor of sending some of his students. Henzo, you know, we got one of his students and stuff like that. That elevates us and stuff. But it also shows, I mean, he had a crowded field, Henzo, of guys from his academies and stuff that from Brazil, like Feitosa and guys like that, who, like, he wanted to take care of too,
3: you know? So that list gets long. It had that nothing to do with me. I wanted to earn my way there, I didn't, and I, and I wanted to secure it because mm-hmm. Hensel wouldn't hurt me purposely, but he might. I, he, he never got tested, I'm sure, but he's probably got his worst ADD than me. He'll be fucking. He might forget mm-hmm. by the time we get on the plane. So I'm like, yo, I got to secure this shit. And
2: well, you subtracted politics from coming into play. That's what you did.
3: I did that. That's what everything, man. You know. Okay, yeah, so all- so.
2: Let's hear what what happened when you went to the Abu Dhabi. So, well, before then, you take another fight against, uh, on at Vanderbilt, Greg Melissi, you know, kind of a tune-up. Nasty armbar.
3: No, but, you know, when when I knew I couldn't fight on the local level anymore is when I, uh, the guy was... This guy might have been a fighter. I don't know. He was a kickboxer. They were trying to find somebody for me. And, uh... He came in the back afterwards, and he was a little chubby, right? And I just took him down and arm-locked him. And when I did that, he was trying to get me in a guillotine, right, like when I tried to shoot. So he's like, yeah, you – and he comes backstage. He's like, I was trying to get that triangle on you. He goes, man, you're tough. And I'm like, yo, dude, I, go, I, got, I don't care if I get my ass kicked in the UFC or somewhere. I can't do this anymore. I can't fight this local <laughs> level of these fucking morons, no offense, but I don't belong in the <laughs> ring with this guy. I don't, the fuck, I don't, I feel no joy in beating up this fat guy. You know what he, I mean? Yeah, he had you in the trial.
1: Though.
3: What? dude, dude, I, I was like, oh my God, don't talk to nobody. Just leave, guy. I'm like, I remember not being, I remember winning that. I remember feeling, well, not to get ahead of myself, feeling better driving back from Atlantic City if they're getting backfisted by Shoney and losing, if <laughs> they're being in a real, my first real war. And then, and being bested, then beating a guy like that. I don't want that ever again. The fact that you brought that up, hey, bring up comms out anytime. Scott Schultz at least had skills, but I don't want to be that guy beating up guys that don't belong in it with me. You know what I mean? Man, mm. I remember,
0: I remember when I was doing boxing matches, you know, and I would sell some tickets and at one point, my opponent fell off and I was like, shit, man, I sold a lot of tickets. I need to fight. And they're like, okay, I'll find you somebody. I was like, all right. And they brought in a guy in the, like the day before, like, all right, let's do this, man. This guy, I bet his record was probably like three and 15 or so. I don't know what his record was, but I mean, I hit him with a couple of punches and he fell down. Everybody's like, no wonder you're doing so well. You're fighting guys like this. And I was like, no, no, you gotta understand. This was the last minute and it fell <laughs> up- I'm explained to everybody, you know, I'm like here's what's going on. And I, I felt horrible. I know what you mean. That's like I'm not as I told him that like I'd rather cancel the fight instead of do this ever again. I'm not, I'm not gonna beat up a guy who's has no business being in there. And I think that's what you're talking about.
2: Oh heck yeah,
1: man. Yeah, back 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 then that happened a lot. A quick story Aaron Riley, we took him to the hospital in Evansville at one point, and uh one of the medics in there came up to us and said, Hey, you know what happened? We we're like, Oh, he was doing a fight. And he, he told us he trains in stand-up jiu-jitsu. Me, me, me and Aaron just looked at each other and just shut up and didn't talk it's anymore. That's legit, you, know I mean? that that sounds legit. Pop- you don't know. You don't want to mess with that stand-up jujitsu because that's frightening. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's so great. That's like, I know, that, 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 that's so, that you still get that sometimes. You know, somebody, you know. So,
2: Matt, you took the long flight to Abu Dhabi and to compete against, in your first round, against Takanori Gomi. Yeah. Ooh. Was that your first flight for an athletic competition?
3: My first flight. No, you went to Pride, right? I went to Pride. Oh, yeah. Pride. Shit. Yeah, Duh. yeah I Come went on. to Pride. Uh, but other than that, well, I mean, you know, I went to Miami. I mean, it is a purple belt, an athletic, and I won the Pan Am, okay. which was huge for me at the time. Like I like I said, if that Henzo tournament, in-school tournament was something, for me to do that on an international level, the Pan Ams, like with the Brazilians there and beating all Brazilians to get to the title, and Henzo gave me my brown belt on the spot, that was huge for me. So, that, not to get into that, but so, you know, going to Abu Dhabi, yeah, I was, dude, what a what a, what an experience. Because it was myself, Rodrigo Gracie who was my roommate at the time, Ricardo Almeida, uh, Henzo, obviously, Sean Alvarez. That was our crew. And it was wow. great. And it was our New York crew. And, uh, you know, and then obviously the, all the other Brazilians that were there that knew Henzo and yada yada. But, yeah, Gomi was my first match. I didn't know him. <laughs> I just knew it was I looked, we looked at the brackets, myself and Rodrigo Gracie, because we were on the same side same weight class. We were on a different side of the brackets. And he goes, Oh shit, man, you gotta fucking kill us. <laughs> he was your side's killer. So I didn't recognize who Gomi was. I knew he was a shooto fighter. That's what that's what I so all right. I got this guy with the goofy hair. And then I got So you, if you we're if naked I, show. I, if I beat if I beat this guy, the Japanese guy, John Jacques Machado's next. That's what I see. Ooh. So I'm like, you know, this was like my first, that's like my, that John Jack Machado, when I got into this, it was the, then it's their cousins, the Machados. I went to that same judo school. I told you that I learned jujitsu from the Machados had a seminar there once. And I arrived there a little late and the first guy to greet me in the door. And and I was a kid still was this guy, John Peretti. He was a fucking dirtbag and uh, <laughs> that was. so I that guy's like, that later. I'm like oh my am, am i late and i was like he goes no no you're fine you're, you're, and he was like very, he's so off-putting and I, I found out later about the guy but i'm like even though they were right there i drew in from long island i'm like you know what let me go check my car about parking i got the fuck out of there that guy and i would have i would have learned from the guy first it's so weird but anyway uh <laughs> god already <Peretti. laughs> so <laughs> fucking, i don't even know if you know the guy but
1: oh,
3: yeah. right, anybody in the Play, business, UFC matchmaker at one point. Yeah,
1: yeah.
3: what a crazy. Okay. But uh, anyway, so, so well, John,
1: what, what, what soured that relationship? Well, I, we can't let this go. Well, well John Peretti, I uh, just to frame a couple of things. Peretti had roots in Long Island, and they, you know, it's not surprising that these guys ran into each other. Oh, I am surprised guys.
3: Like you. You, I never really? ran into the guy once. I ran into oh. him once. Once. Okay. Well, and that was, a... was in Manhattan. So I don't okay. know the guy. I don't know the guy. But I just I've seen him afterwards, like on television and 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 but I'm like, oh, that's the fucking jerk off who was at the fucking seminar that time. He was a very he had the worst fucking attitude, that guy. And I'm telling you as a kid, when I was a kid when I met him. And I'm mm-hmm. like, <laughs> this guy has a fucking horrible vibe around about him. So I'm like, I want oh it'd be so much that I didn't even do that seminar. How about that? Wow. But, well, here, mm-hmm. speaking of you know, maybe vibes
2: that might not connect at this point. If you look at the New York area, the two big fighters subtracting henzo, I'm talking about Americans on their way up, are you and Phil Baroni? Yeah, you two you two never worked out with each other. I knew there was a little bit of a
3: rivalry between you two. Yeah. Yeah, we know I want to say a rivalry. Uh, Phil's Phil's not a, Phil's, Phil's a, 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 like, I think he's got some problems, you know what I mean? I met Phil at the end of I. and that's not true, we did people together, you know what I mean? Uh, I met him at Longo's, and I liked him, I liked Phil in the beginning, and uh, I remember, I, I rolled with him, there was one training session, with it was, I was there, he was there, and Guy Mesger was there, <laughs> you know about Guy Mesger? Yeah, I met, yeah, and this is this is so funny, but uh, again, I was a I was a purple belt, but you know I rolled with Phil, and I rolled and and uh, Phil wasn't actually doing bad with Mezger, he was getting behind him and lifting him up, and but Mezger, I think, ended up maybe getting him and stuff. I'm not sure, but anyway, the point is, so I I liked Phil, I liked Phil at the time, you know, I did. Yeah, he was nice, and he he started fighting at the Vengeance, the Vanderbilt. So I remember I seen him fight one time a kickboxing match. We talked after and he's like, how do I look in there? Like I knew what I was doing. He was actually a nice guy. I, I thought, right. So then one time after one of the vengeance of the Vanderbilts, uh, they gave him like a trophy or something. They gave him like a belt and I go to him, I go, Hey, and I'm now I'm thinking we're cool. And I, and, and I go, Hey man. And this is before we're in the UFC, obviously. I go, Hey man, they give you a, they give you a belt. And they give me a, I got a, I got a, I got a, a trunk filled with these shitty kickbox and trophies, man. I go, And he goes, yeah, well, and then and then the vibe with that was immediately was, well, if you want you know, if you want that belt or something like that. And then and then, it turned like a, a switch like there. Because I'm being, I'm thinking, and then like, wait a minute. No, 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 no. I, You got me wrong, dude. Wait, hold on. <laughs> and then, and like, in other words, it's like, I we we're friendly. We're not friendly? Motherfucker? So I think they, people had to get between us. And then after that, I always keep him at, at arm's length because I ran into him after that and he was friendly. You know, we fought on cards before. We're friendly, but I won't let him get this close. I'm not. I like Phil. If I see him now, Phil, how you doing? You're doing good. Good man. Good to see you. You know, but I'm not gonna. I, you you just some guys you just don't like get too close. It's not Chris Lightner.
2: Yeah, I'm, keep <laughs> him at arm's distance. So
3: listen, you know, he, he's from Long Island. That I don't know where he lives now. Whatever, but he, I wish people well. I'm not Sydney. I don't want to. Sh- crap on somebody who maybe didn't have the same success in this field or right now we're both around the same age we live different lives and i don't judge anybody but i do wish him well you know what i mean that's cool but at the same at the same time you know i got enough friends i'm not fucking trying to be right i you burn me like that like and this again this is when we were kids but yeah. you gotta know you gotta know you, you sense somebody's character and it's like all right and I remember at the time, I think it was a stepdad going to me. He's like, yeah, you know, people say you gotta be loyal, but you know, if the guy can help you, they're not in the ring with you. If the guy can help you across the street and better than the guy who you would here, then. Go. And I'm like, oh, okay, this makes all sense to me. Then. You know what I mean? You gotta kind of put it all together. And then I know that you put that with all those horror stories I had from the kid from the guy from Long Island. So listen, you know, I wish the guy well, you know what I mean? But so we never really clicked after that, but we did click in the beginning. I thought he was a good guy, you know? But you know, you got to take somebody for well, how they are. You know. So, so let's let go oh, on to your yes, second so match. Win, you know, <laughs> right?
2: Let's go on. Let's go on to your second match. You were a huge underdog at the ADCC uh, at the AC against Gene Jack Machado, where you beat him yeah. by the points.
3: Yeah. What well, was it
2: like going into that match? Where were you mentally?
3: Well, I, I, I this is the thing. I went to something called the Pro-Ams like a year before that. It was in, It was something my buddy Frank Mullis and somebody else did. You might know about this, Miguel. It was called the Pro-Ams. It had some legit names. It was a Nogi jiu-jitsu tournament. In and, North Carolina? Uh, I, had, I had a good match with uh, Leo Vera. And I had a good match with uh, uh, Ted Day. These <coughs> these old school jiu-jitsu guys mm-hmm. And uh, I lost Fremando. both those matches. I lost both those matches. And I didn't lose because they were better than me. That's the one thing. I didn't get dominated. I'm never losing, like, how'd I lose? I didn't fucking, but I <laughs> lost on points and I lost on strategy. That's why I lost. And these guys knew it. They, they knew how to play the game because they were competing in Brazil forever. So I remember that was my first time competing as a black belt in jiu-jitsu. So I'm like, all right, I know I'm on this level, but that hurt my pride. I got two losses, my first time, I, I, and before that, I I strangled some little judo fighter, some uh, some little judo fighter, a little Japanese guy. He was shorter than me. I don't count that one, but you know, <laughs> and there's levels to this shit. So I'm like, yo, the Brazilians, these guys, they're not better than me. They're not beat. I was actually ahead of Leo, and um, and then you know, some questionable points or whatever. But I know I'm right here. I know these guys aren't better than me. What's the problem? And then I looked at the Abu Dhabi rule set. And I'm like, okay, let's let's think about this. What my style, if you look at Abu Dhabi and how I approached it, the first five minutes, there's no points. After that, there's points from there on. I know my wrestling wasn't awful. I mean, and I'm hard to put down if I want to be. Very hard to put down if I wanted to be. But I know if I go to my back one back then, fuck man. Now at almost 50, it's still hard to pass my shit. But back then, my guard was. Almost impossible to pass. I don't, I'm not, it's not a bragging thing. Look at John Jock, dude. That guy had me in a pretzel. I, I remember one time I was in Brazil training and they, all the black belts were trying to pass. And even with the gi, I kept getting my legs in. And I remember Carlos Gracie Jr., Carlinos, the great, the, the Baja Gracie founder, he was telling the other guys what the problem is. And he's like, he's got a strong upper body. And he's little legs with a little, and he's very flexible. So I'd make enough space to keep getting my legs in and I'd tie you guys out. So I do go to Abu Dhabi. Like, look, man, I pull guard. One, then I, I have a good chance of submitting people down there, reversible. But two, after that five minute mark, if I'm still on bottom, I'm so good. At, now they call grapple up, I think wrestling up and stuff. There's a name for everything nowadays which it. But that's <laughs> not good at being on my back and not only getting out, but, from on top bottom but getting out and putting guys down i was really good at that and attacking legs actually before it was cool so boiler guys fucking calling me. so then uh sorry guys <laughs> so, so then so when i went there so first gomi guard Uma Plata reversal took the back finished him. J- jock i know it's not going to be that but i didn't know i did have i did it i had such Faith in my in my guard, I did. I had a Cardinal Mater in that thing fucking how many days a week attacking me. He was bigger. He was fucking had such so good pressure and I knew I could handle myself. So again, man, the strategy worked great. And after that five minute mark, I did reverse John Jock with my fucking waiter sweep. I got him, got on top. They didn't even give me points for that shit, dude. And I remember being, I remember being half guard later on, being like, yo, man, like going to handle. you see me going like, what the fuck? like no points, but then uh, I ended up winning because then he had actually pulled guard when we got back to our feet to try to sweep me, got a negative point and won. That, to me, was the equivalent of kind of what I did in MMA with GSP, not to be that I'm not For sure. It, but if, for the guys who were in the know, there was one point when Hickson left Brazil, John Jock was the best guy there, and I noticed wow. this, is guys, this is what the guys back then who lived it, like the guys in Baja Gracie, who that's where he John Jock came from, and then eventually he he broke off and did his thing. But he was at one point the best ever, like at uh, best in Brazil when Hickson left. I and I remember just when I beat John Jock, the route, I'm like, yo, the rest is just gravy, man. I'm like, I, I remember just quenching. Well, I had a great rest of the day, too. Leo Santos, who's still competing in the UFC, yeah, he's a, in
2: the UFC, he's
3: still in the UFC, doing great. Back then, he was a kid that was like a either undefeated or undefeated as black belt or whatever it is. And I ended up strangling him next. I had a great match with Leo next. He's finishing I up, guys. I, I, I when finished. you're that far into the tournament and still getting finishes. That's why I didn't give a fuck. Eyebrows. When, that's why I didn't give a fuck when it came down to the last match with Marcio Feitosa and Henzo asked me to, you know, take the fucking dive. I, uh, I said, Hey man, you, you, know, you know, listen, he said, it, it listen, this is exactly what he said. He goes, Matt, they're looking at Americans as like that. They're all for themselves. And this will prove that you're one of us. And that I go, Hanzo, look, the, you're, you, you gave me this life. If you asking me to lose to Marcio, cause I've had a seniority. Cause back then when I got to the Pan Ams, that's what I told you about. Fuck man. I strangled a couple Baja guys on the way there, but now I'm in the finals threatening a fucking gold. Match, we the same team, Papa. Are we or are we not? I don't feel like we're the same (laughs) fucking team. I just took out two of you motherfuckers, and that one guy I just strangled. Hey, fucking the referee let him, he didn't see it. I had to get him twice. So I'm ready to fuck up whoever's in the finals. That's my attitude. I was a little more. Well, let's
2: let's kind of frame this. So he's the head instructor at Gracie Baja and pretty much Carlos uh, Gracie Jr.'s right hand man, so now Henzo comes in, obviously Gracie Baja, and he's got his first American black belt. So the politics are coming into play heavy.
3: 100, 100, 100. I don't regret anything. I don't regret anything. Even like, listen, I know what was going. I mean, without the gee, like I remember leading up to that role with Marcio in Manhattan. So I knew. I knew. I had a goal within reach, to be honest it, I knew it, that. Oh, I'm sorry, Miguel, but, but before I forget, Henzo did tell me, look, he didn't have to tell me, but Marcio did leave his neck out for Henzo, the, 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 the Abu Dhabi before that. Can I just, I want to add that. So I don't I'm not shitting here on Marcio. This is the way they're playing it back then. Henzo he, was his senior. He left his neck out for Henzo. Okay. They're not letting nobody bow out. All right. So I told Henzo, look, I see what's going on. I get it. The seniority thing. I'll Mm -hmm. take a bullet for you. You want me to give up this medal for you? You got it. But I'm not letting them tap me. I'm not letting them. So if you watch that match. Well, how does the money
2: get split up afterward? How does the money get split up?
3: Oh, I got... Dude, I back then I don't even... I don't remember. Back then it was... I don't know what you got. I don't know what kind of money you got for that. Anyway. I think
1: you got five grand for second place, and he got ten grand for first place.
3: Something like that. And, and then also me. Cut Jimmy, that in think half. He, not for anything. Not to brag, but me and John Jock got matched to the whole tournament. We got extra money for that. Which there is you a, go. That was nice. Uh, and, I'll William never. Moore, I mean, but but uh, and, I forgot what the fuck I was saying. Go ahead. That's you. That's that's, uh, you. that's uh, your I'm house, sorry. man. <laughs> it's not my house.
1: You got two New York guys trying to talk. I'm sorry to, to jump in, but I, what I wanted to frame was what Matt referred to was that Fatosa is the guy who the year before kind of arranged a match with Henzo to win fastest submission because Matt Hughes and Jeremy Horn had done their little work to get that end Throw and Throw submission. Because yeah. they knew it was a fake fight. They kind of arranged that, and it was Fatosa who fell on the sword. So this was also kind of like, you know, pay a payback hey, him,
3: and uh, you know that all played into it. And I had no Matt problem. brought it up first. I, I listen in my mind. Gomi, who later on became more of a legend and the
2: superstar, in-
3: I remember not for anything. Not to be disrespectful, I remember being like, "All right, I got John Jock next." If you watch. I'm like, I'm going to use this first guy. As, not, I, was, I was confident. I'm going to use this first Japanese guy as a warm-up. I'm going to wear my rash guard. I wore a rash guard in the first one. I didn't wear that shit with John Jock. I was already warm then. So I'm like, I'm going to wear the rash guard with my first match. And then after that, we're going skin. <laughs> I'd rather be a little more slippery with fucking John Jock. The <laughs> other guy, I knew I was going to. But so I didn't even know who Gomi was. I just remembered I was going to use him as a warm-up. And I did. And I'm so happy he achieved so much because it looks cool now. But <laughs> well, you know, and let's think about this. Less than
2: a month later, you're in the UFC making your debut at UFC 31 against Shony Carter Yeah.
3: Whew. It makes sense that my jujitsu looked off the hook in the fight, but uh you know, my stand-up, talk about on-the-job training. I mean, I had to get back. It's not that it was it was just it was no strat, and this goes on for a while, because you gotta understand, man. My mindset was I was like a street fighting kid. Like I was, I I knew I had some power because I did lay people out. I know it was in the street, but it is what it is. I knew I didn't have, and not to mention when I was 18, I fought a tough man contest at the Palladium in Manhattan. Mr. T was the referee. And I uh, laid out, I laid, this is a true story. I laid out uh, two guys and I never sparred a day in my life. My buddy, Jim McCluskey was a boxer. He came with me. Me and him used to get into a lot of fights together as a kid. And uh, he go, all right, man, just, I never sparred a day. He goes, look, just stand sideways you're less of a target and i I keep your chin down and I was it it was all heavyweights it was 175 and up so i knew i lost the last one my last match and i had the worst concussion of any of my fights ever after that tough man contest jaw to this day from that you can hear that shit so i was fucked up boxing's way worse than that's the whole other thing so My point is I had this philosophy. I knew I was, I knew I had power, but I had to get that totally out of my head when this, when I started watching the uh, UFC uh, mixed martial arts, but the UFC at the time, because it's like, all right, the the jujitsu philosophy in the beginning, never exchange. Why would you exchange you moron play the distance too far, too close, get that fight down. And that was the mentality for a while until Things started changing around again. People started catching on. So now, I had to. Well, they started fighting you defensively. Who's this now? The, it, like when when you were talking about
2: like the transition with yourself, when people would offensively go after you, you would you would wreck them. Yeah. But when they were playing defense against you, that's when things would slow down. And all they were doing was playing defense.
1: 10, medic
2: yeah.
0: Twenty-four. Medic be right back. 13, oh, shit, I got to go jump down
1: the pole right now. 14, 14, he's
0: uh, he's 14, at home. He's not 14, at work. 14, <laughs> East Sixteenth Street. I gotta go. I'll be back later. You guys the Later,
3: later, Chris. Gotta go save a kitten. Dude, he's gotta go get. You know, he's gotta go save people. But uh, so where what we now?
2: So, like, I, I noticed, like, in your career, when people started being very defensive, like, giving you nothing, only playing defense and just waiting for that third round, it's kind of, I, I think you were just so far ahead of everybody else prior to that.
3: Yeah, they just were, not I just didn't have um, the time clocked in. I didn't have the time clocked in with the, uh, with the stand-up. And when I did spar, it was always just to get to the guy. I'd strike my way in just to get a hold of the guy. And Andrew, that can only go so far. If you see the way I fought, the only fight prior to when I fought uh, GSP like that is maybe Carol Parisian. You could say where I kind of relied on my hands. But that's because my knee was fucked up. And I had to fucking, I had to get through it. And I got through it. In, in hindsight, it's good because it got my hands a lot better. But I had to do a lot of sparring because I couldn't do the feet, the floor because I had to torn meniscus. Be right before I got that call, my shit was torn. So I'm like, all right, look, I had to take the. Am I fighting Carol? Or am I not fighting Carol? And I'm like, all right, well, I could run, I could strike, but the feet, the floor, it felt like my leg was held, holding on for a thread. That's why I, I believe, I really got exhausted in that fight because the feet, the floor is an exhausting thing. But I used that whole camp just to do my striking. I was at Negley's a lot. I was doing well, a lot. Let's of talk about.
2: Let's hit Shoni. You know, before we get to Carol, oh. you almost finished him in the first round. Shoney. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You hit him you, you get a couple real deep submissions and Shoney at this time's a 50 fight club member. Yeah. Like he's literally got 50 fights and you're coming in at 4 and 0. Oh. So there's a huge yeah. disparity in in
3: like experience. Oh. Did you have the did, did you have the UFC jitters? I definitely had some tunnel vision for sure. I was like it was you know it's not so much what I noticed about when you go from fighting in a small show like I did, like to fighting in the UFC, it's not so much the fight, it's the the everything around it, the everybody's energy is is more intense from the production staff to all right, you're going on in this, you're walking down, and there's lights in your face. So yeah, I did have some jitters for sure. I was fighting on instinct. I had bad tunnel vision. And uh, but even having said that, Shoni was Shoney was slick and I mean that literally like Shoney's a guy, you put him in gym shorts and and Chris will tell you he is so, he's awful like with just jujitsu and stuff he's not really good at all, he's horrible but dude it's almost like an episode of comps when they're trying to control somebody that's in his underwear and he's all slippery and they're trying to grab him and he's getting out dude, it's ridiculous, put either one of you guys in speedos and oil you up and I don't know how he gets past it but dude ask Rich Clemente, that guy's not going to lie he, it's like holding a big fish. So, you have his, yeah, ask Clemente about him.
2: Him,
3: yeah. Did he ever it. Yeah, yeah. ever tell me about Shoney, how slimy he was? So, even on our like Shoney, he knows how to play some shit. So, it's like holding a big... I wasn't used to just slipping out and doing all these... Things. That's why, you see the second fight with him, I got him down. I wasn't even going for submissions. I was just beating him up. <laughs> just, You're going for positions. Your style of jiu-jitsu was so aggressive at this
2: point that... You, you seem to hit a cardio wall, maybe about the third round.
3: Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Which one? With Shoney? With Shoney. Yeah. Oh, I was exhausted. Well, listen, I had one. There was no. This is it. Not first a, time you got tested. First time I got tested. But also, whenever you're in an area where you're not as comfortable in, whether it's the floor or standing up, it, it stresses you. So I did not get It took me a while to get really comfortable standing and just to just it it, it, it is what it is it's like you're putting your time in so i had on the job training man so i didn't have the hours clocked in to be as comfortable as i should have been and i still kicked him in the head and i was throwing but it was making it more of a street fight with the striking and then when i get my jujitsu, oh how graceful and aggressive and nice and but like it's it was a i wasn't as complete as i should you know and I mean. you were
2: up, like you're at 170. And your next fight against Eve Edwards at UFC 33 is also at 170. I, I think they eliminated the 155-pound weight class at this time. Yeah. <clears throat> and a brutal fight. I mean, Eve is one of the best in the world at yeah. this point. And I, I, you, you come out with a
3: win. Yeah, that was, that was a very – that was stressful because it was right after 9-11, literally a few weeks after 9-11. Right, this was 20 years ago, and I was September. Was well, this it? is this
2: is May, May fourth, two
3: thousand one. No, Eve Edwards. Eve, Edwards fought, September twenty-eighth. When I fought Eve Edwards, it was it was it was right at the nine-eleven. Yep, September twenty-eighth. Okay. That's not even a question. Okay, okay, so um, when I it was I remember because Ray Longo didn't even he had young kids he didn't he didn't get on the plane to go fucking he couldn't he goes yo my family's scared man I can't. That's the times we were in. People were afraid to fly. I mean, uh, uh, Vegas was a ghost town. It was crazy times, man, because everybody was afraid of what's going on with terrorists and this and that. So I remember being stressed. And then the 9-11 happened. And I remember being like, look, there's real problems out there. There's people jumping out of windows. You know what I mean? And burning buildings. If I lose a fight, and I mean, how many? Yeah, I might be out of the UFC. But, uh, you know. I'm still here. I kind of put things in perspective, really. I, that really, it really did make me look at things differently. And uh, that helped me my, my, with my mindset. Because, you know. And then when I went there, again, I did not have the timing of the striking down. And I'm glad I didn't even try that shit with him. to be honest with you. My, but I did clock in a lot of sparring, feet to floor, getting a hold of the guy. So I remember the first round. I haven't dude, I dude, how about this? I sat to a fucking leg lock up against the cage. I pulled fucking butterfly guard, and I got him in a heel hook, and I got him, uh, and that got me on top of him. You know what I mean? And uh, I remember losing. I I tried the same back tape, <laughs> only because we were talking about it. I tried on Gomi in Abu Dhabi. The difference is, Gomi had a big fucking mane of hair, Fucking <laughs> and Eve Edwards was as, as bald as me now. I slipped right off, and he got up. And, dude, I started – I remember he hit me with an uppercut. Uppercut. I I bring this up to him all the time because this game – and this is why I'm very thankful to be where I am because I can point this in several fights. I can look negatively and point on the the time I almost won versus Shoney and I got caught with less than 10 seconds left with a fucking back fist. Or I can look at the time where Eve Edwards got me with a perfectly timed uppercut when I tried to clinch him without striking first and dropped me. And jumped on me and could have finished me. I was a little dazed. But he was so afraid of my jiu-jitsu back then. He don't even tell you. He jumped out. Yeah, rightfully so. He jumped out and he got up. Uh, and then when he did, I got up and I remember being like, yo, I'm fucking, I was still dazed. And when you get hit, even if you're in good shape, it's like your energy bar gets hit in half. And then he's coming after me like the fucking Black Panther. And I'm like, holy fuck. So what do I do when I'm tired? I throw a big high kick. Ah! And then, dude, he just, I'm like, oh, that's not good. Now I'm even more tired. (laughs) It's Fucking Mm -hmm. awful. Thank God the bell rang. And then by that second round, I remember I took a shot. He got back up. I got back up. And I was back in sparring. The sparring saved me. I remember being like, okay, I'm back now. I'm back. He's going to try to hit me and I'm going to try to get him down. And I was just in the, I was, it was like I was back at Ray's sparring and that's what got me through and I ended up getting him down a bunch and I won the fight. Thank God.
2: You know, the one thing that I take away from it, like you can kind of see the bond between like corners and their fighters. Henzo was so proud of you, man. Well, that fight? Yeah.
3: Oh yeah? Well, listen, man. Henzo's great. Henzo's hysterical. Henzo's, uh, Henzo showed up in the locker room like right before I walked out. And the first thing he said is, man, you're wearing those shorts? No! I was wearing like a silver. Tap out said they are sending me a silver and gray and black tapout shorts. So I'm like, oh, that's some cool colors. Dude, the, the silver was straight out of village people's silver. And I'm sitting there wearing this thing and Henzo's making jokes that probably wouldn't go over well now. And I'm like, what? I'm about to fight even when they call him the dentist?" Anyway, it worked out. <laughs> yeah,
2: he, he was so proud of you, man. Like, he, I, I, it was I, almost like him watching his kid, you know, do well. It was, it was, it was fun.
1: I, I got a, a question for you. Take you back a little bit uh, uh, to the business end of things here. So, so you're in Abu Dhabi. You have a spectacular performance. Did you go there knowing you were in the UFC already? or Because I know Joe Silva was at that Abu Dhabi. Or did you finish the deal the last day
3: after your performance? He saw, he saw you at the trials. Well, you're saying, you're saying. wait, what was the question? Did I know you must, I was in the UFC? Did you,
1: before Abu Dhabi, were you already
3: signed to UFC? Or did you finish the deal? No, at, there? no, okay. no. I was after that, I believe. Uh, okay, or, cool. or, or, yeah, it was after that because I had a good showing over there. And they yep. were like, and then they were they wanted Ricardo Almeida too because Ricardo yep. just beat Akira Soji in Pride, yep. and so yeah. they're like, all right, we'll take him and we'll take him. You know, yep. I think they and really wanted Henzo first, but then Henzo was over in Pride, and
1: yeah, no, no, no. And I remember that I, Ricardo had a tough day too. You know, just that's the way the ball bounces, but
2: yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. so March twenty second, two thousand two, UC thirty six. You finally get down to one fifty five, a weight class more suitable to you. Yeah. You fight uh, Kelly Delante and you yes. win by triangle first round.
3: Yes. Yes. That was crazy, man. Shout out to Gil Castillo, an old school um, Cesar Gracie black belt. Cause I didn't know how to, I, like I said, I wasn't a big wrestler. I didn't know how to cut weight. I had to stop eating. So he got there and he got, I was, like, I was like, dude, you gotta, I was like just melting away and just not doing anything, no energy. So he's like, dude, you gotta eat stuff. You gotta, what are you doing? So he kind of like was my sensei in that and took me in and out of the sauna and. Just told me what I could eat, what I couldn't eat. and
2: Did you make weight or did you miss?
3: Oh, I first of all, that's some bullshit. I know it says 163. I was 153. I was under the thing. And when they announced it, oh, several with a little bit of weight advantage. No, though no, whoever was, go- whoever was at the time, I gold. told to somebody, but they fucked up. So they fucked up putting on the weight class 163. Dude, I was 153. Okay. But you look
1: small. Yeah. There, I'm like,
3: there's no weight. There's missed. no weight. There was. I was under the weight limit. I never missed weight in my life.
2: You know. So to properly mega set this up, you had two mega camps going in at it. Uh, obviously, you're Henzo's top student, and Kelly was actually Frank Shamrock's top student. So you
3: had two mega camps going now, at it. And uh, was that a little extra pressure for you? Uh, you know, Frank Shamrock, I wasn't a big fan of back then. You know, and uh, I remember. The, I remember more of the stuff that the guy was saying, that because uh, I think he was on the undefeated at the time. The kid Kelly Delante, and I remember saying he's gonna eat my heart. He's just saying some silly shit, and and uh, I wasn't gonna get him down, yada yada. Because he was like a wrestling kickboxing guy, and he beat some. And he was doing well, so I don't know. I just remembered, just I was I, I, I was I was I was ready. I was ready for that one. Oh, I felt.
2: Well, if somebody wants to look at like a, a tutorial for chain submission grappling, yeah, that's the fight.
3: That was that's a good fight, fight, man. I, I, you know what it is? That was a prelim fight, but then they ended up showing it before the main event. Again, they showed it. And I remember Joe Rogan, who wasn't a commentator back then, he would say, oh, Matt Serra with that jungle jujitsu, that's what we need. And I remember Joe Rogan back then, he had hair and everything. And he was uh, giving me some compliments, and I remember being like, oh, that's nice, man. I remember, I think I sent them a t shirt after that or something. And that's how we started becoming friends. Just sign it. Just
2: sign it for Oh, them.
3: I just like, man, you want to think, thanks for the kind words type of thing. And then actually, I'm going to be called my academy. And I'm like, oh, wow. And then we became like friends after that. That's
1: fun. Really fast for Kelly Gelanti. He, he had a brief career, but before he met Matt, he had wins over 55 club member Nuri Shakir and a win over Dwayne Ludwig. Yeah. So
3: Yo, Kelly was legit. He a legit guy.
2: Yeah, I, legit
3: I guy. I wonder why. He, like, I remember after I fought him, I was—you well, didn't take a single out. punch. No, nah, I was on him, man. I got—it was a great day in the office. Uh and after I beat him, I was all hyped up, so I did my Wolverine. I don't know why I did that, but anyway, ah, <laughs> uh, the claws came out. I remember afterwards, I got a—I was—I took a shower and I was going into the stands, me and Longo, to go watch. I got a big bucket of popcorn. I was gonna watch the rest of the fights, and I seen Kelly. Kelly came up to me. And he goes, hey, man, I just want to say, dude, like, you know, I didn't realize, like, there's different levels in this. Um, You know, thank you and yada, yada. So I don't know if I just changed the guy's perception. I mean, I don't know. But, like, it's a shame the guy didn't beat anybody else up because he seemed like a tough guy, you know. And maybe that just – maybe the experience wasn't great for him. I don't know.
2: Okay. So after that, Jens Pulver vacates the 155-pound belt. Yeah. At UFC 39, they give you BJ Penn, which is actually a very controversial decision.
3: Uh, I thought so, too. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah that was something else, man. Um, hindsight's always, you know, 20-20. You know, that third round, I could have pushed more. It's a dogfight. I had a way bigger second round than he had any round. Like, I was landing. I actually took him down. <clears throat> um, took him down up against the cage. Uh, I don't know. I... I I think I, it was a close fight, you know. And uh, I remember the out online, I know it was a home crowd, because it was Mohegan Sun, but it was the online voting had me winning. I remember that. I remember that in my head. The online audience voted that I they thought I won. So then they raised his hand, but it's a, hey, it's all good. You know, BJ at the time was going through people. I think
2: people were afraid of BJ before they even stepped foot through the cage. Yeah. And you didn't fall into that category. No,
3: no, I fought him. I fought him. And uh, and, I, and I, I, I have no, you know, if there's any regrets, like in hindsight, I could have pushed out more of that third round. But I don't know. We kind of fought to a standstill. And I didn't really, he had a great poker face because he was exhausted. And I wasn't. So my thing is I should have emptied the tank out there. But, you know, you live, you learn. You know, I was 28 years old.
2: And he had cardio issues too later on. Like people kind of figured out that when he had his cardio wall, it was a little more drastic for him than others. Oh, but yeah. a footnote on this fight: Pete Sell makes his UFC debut in your corner.
3: It, he made his debut as a in corner. your corner. He, yeah, he was yeah. your cornerman that night. Yeah. Oh, well, he's always uh, he was always by my side. That guy.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it was the first time we got to see who Pete Sell was in your corner. Man, um,
1: from from there, about... you fight.
2: future friend and castmate on the ultimate fighter din thomas yes where you take two losses in a row where was your head at this point you're not used to losing well after that the ufc actually dropped me
3: after that yeah man i gotta gotta, you know and i remember talking to dana because then i was gonna do something in japan that fell through and i remember dana found out i was gonna be fighting in japan he he called me up he's like yo and i always had a loan with dana well always i remember him telling me hey man listen i still want you to you know, you know, you know, we still love you. And, you know, I, you know, I want, you know, you, I, I still want you to like, 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 like to, to feel like you're a UFC fighter. Like, you know, we, we had, we had a really good relationship. Like I, we had a good understanding. Like he wasn't still hurt. By guys. Yeah. I got, I got along with Dana. Yeah. We never, you know, I never asked the guy for nothing and uh, we just got along. I don't know. So that fight fell through in Japan. And then after a while, well, well, let's Before walk me,
2: through this. This yeah. is interesting. So you get a fight in Japan canceled uh, against Katani. Then you 46. This is ridiculous. They give you Javi Vasquez.
3: Oh, we went through like a lot of names.
2: He goes out with a knee injury. They give you Gerald Streben. He goes out with a torn meniscus. And at this time, Gerald Streben's also wearing a, like a, I think he's wearing a mic for the feds because that's when Rafael <laughs> Corey was going down. Oh, shit.
1: I don't know about
2: it. Uh, and then you got Ivan Menjavar with visa issues, and you finally wind up with, on nine days' notice, a real tough and scrappy guy that I don't think gets the attention he deserves, Jeff Coran.
3: Yeah. I mean, listen, he, he went on after that to fight lower weight classes. So I think it's weird. When I fought at 55, they make it like I'm a big bully. Dude, I, dude you know not much – I'm walking around 200 pounds now. I feel – and uh,
2: huge at 55.
3: Yeah, dude. It's not like I'm a fat guy now, too. I feel okay now. But like, you know, back then, yeah, I mean, fifty-five was hard for me to make. So yeah, man, like Jeff Curran was a it was a good fight for me in a sense where I got to work what I call like a technical ground and pound, not just a ground and pound. I wanted to strike, like I was I wanted to concentrate on getting a guy down and striking to improve my position and stuff like that and it worked out and it was good it was a it was a great like I would be striking then he'd open up and I'd get the half guard and I was working some new stuff on the floor to be honest with you with the striking with my jiu-jitsu because I feel I was up until then unless I mounted I wasn't beating the shit out of people and I wanted to work more elbows and and more air the striking into my jujitsu <laughs> more so I don't know that's where my mindset was and he was a perfect guy to use it with because he was a black belt
2: Pedro Sauer black belt
3: yeah Pedro yeah. was a the corner, and I love Pedro. Pedro's a great guy. Yeah, yeah. so with Jeff, high, the thing a is, he never
1: Jiu-Jitsu quits. Test, right?
3: He never gives up. Even, you know, he threw, a, like,
2: a nice heavy punch. Or, a, a, I apologize. He, I think he racked him with a punch and went for a guillotine. He was just too small, too small at the end. He was yeah, gonna break my head
3: out. popped right out of that. Yeah. But even there, like you saw me punching to get the clinch on him and doing suplexes and stuff, you know. But again, I was still I was still on the job training with the sparring, you know what I mean? I think up until this point, people were offensive
2: with you. Like they wanted to lead punch, they wanted to you know lead yeah. grapple, and then you fight Ivan Menjivar, and he just plays defense the entire time. That's a hard he, fight.
3: He kicked me in the face, which was nice in the beginning. Ivan was yeah. great. Ivan was tough. Ivan.
2: His losses were too little
3: things. Little things I'd figure out in the match because. I'd be getting in half guard, and I'm not used to fighting guys that were shorter than me. So he was getting out of positions. I'm like, what the? F-? So then it caused me to get I did it, in the fight. I'd go into getting a double underhooks as I'm passing to get a clean mount, and so it was, some, it was some cool technical stuff in there, from passing to mounting. But he had like no neck, you know what I mean? So I know eventually, I know Uriah, Uriah Faber found it, but I ended up being on his thing, and he was like, and I remember he was being like a little ball, you know? So yeah, it was fun. I had a fun time with Ivan. I had to show off some more wrestling in that fight. So I had some cool wrestling takedowns. And so, That's in
2: your gas tank. So, it was,
3: yeah, it was, oh, yeah. I, I felt. My my, my late friend, um, I don't know if you know him, James Gabert, he used to be a fighter. Uh, I did a, so many rounds with him, feet the floor, that, you know, I felt so, I felt prepared. So and with Menjivar you, you're another preaching. smaller guy,
1: but too. I was just going to say, Menjivar's a, a little bit of yeah. a smaller guy, like you said, too. Yeah. And His only losses
2: were to GSP and Jason Black. He's legit. He lost to,
1: he, uh, Shaolin, too. He, yeah, he lost to Shaolin on my show too. I think um, after yeah. that. But when you can put him in with guys like that of that level, you you know, you, you he's a good guy, definitely a feather in your cap. But he also fought at 145. Curran actually made 135, so the UFC kind of had their eye on you and, and
3: was giving you matches that were favorable instead of you being the underdog. Well, in fairness, in fairness with that, you, uh, when we were talking about that fight with the, how many fights fell through, mm-hmm. uh, you, 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 I think you brought up a couple. But first, you forgot to mention Genki Sudo was mentioned. Genki Sudo was going to be the first one, but he didn't. He didn't. I don't know if he wanted to fight BJ. I don't know what happened with him. But Genki likes smaller opponents. Genk, yeah, but but this is at one fifty five. Genki yeah. Sudo. They also brought up, and it was supposed to be Javi Heavy Vasquez. Mm-hmm. these are all this went through we went through when they gave me jeff curran he was a replacement i went through i'm telling you close to 12 guys it was crazy it was it was i go look just get me somebody and they got me <laughs> and that's what happened with jeff curran i was just so it's not like they were like all right let's get him they just got me so they just needed somebody so okay. it's not like we'll get him a light guy here and a light guy there and medjavar i was supposed to fight prior but he had visa issues and he was also going through people and he fought he was doing okay with GSP at one seventy until he lost. So, you know, I he, he was a fun fight. They both. No,
1: that's fair. That's very
3: fair.
2: With Kill Parisian, how close? Okay, when you, when you guys start off, one, you're back up at one seventy. Yeah. So that one fifty five pound cut must have been pretty difficult for you.
3: Yeah, and I like the man. I'll tell you that Joe Silva was something else, huh? You know, uh, never mind. The negotiating tactics. Oh, we really wanted to finish, and we need. I'm winning fights, but yet, you know, times were different then, so I guess they didn't have the the, the bankroll they did. But, but let's just say I wasn't I wasn't fighting for a lot of money back then, <laughs> and I kind of stayed at the same even when I'm winning sometimes because hey, you know, I'm not getting a finish. But anyway, whatever. So when they offered me Caro, back at I didn't choose to go back to 170. I think I don't know if they were getting rid of 155 or what it was or but they brought me. They like, look, we got a fight for you. It's a Caro. It's back at 170. And I remember it was like a couple weeks after I did something to my. I, I tore my meniscus in my knee. There's no excuse. I took the fight and I got in shape for the fight. But there's different shapes you can get into, man. I wasn't. My endurance, the up and down, wasn't good. But it's so weird because it did lead to good things for me. Like I got, I clocked in so many, so much hours of just stand up, and things really started getting clicking. Like I started developing a nice rolling right, which I caught Caro with. In the very beginning how close were him you out. to finishing it oh extremely close and then and listen we talk about little you know little like n- nuances that could make a huge difference in not only a fight but a career when i had him out almost with that punch, but that punch laid him out
2: it was cool. henzo
3: he was pounding cage. I, I flipped him over i would have been straight mounted on him but he was like propped up against the cage so he got a judo grip in the back of my fucking shorts. And he he's like a gorilla. He pulled himself into that clinch. I you even see me saying, yo, he's got my fucking shorts in the ref. He's got me. And then but then he lets go and then he survives. And I put out a lot, I expended a lot trying to get him out. And that's something that's nice. to be, should be noted, because it helped me for my title fight. Because I I spent a lot of energy trying to get him out. And now he's not out. And now I'm getting fucking a little tired. And I, and I think, personally, if you've seen my fights prior, I got tired of two fights in my career. Tired, tired. I don't even count the first Shoney fight. That is is what it is. First time, whatever. Uh, this fight with Taro and my second fight with GSP. Those are the fights that were legit, where I don't feel my confidence with the, with. I just knew I didn't do the right work to have that endurance that I needed. And that's not a good feeling. Because you know you don't want to say uncle. And I didn't say Uncle Caro. And I got and I had the and I got the show in a hindsight, which is good news. I not only did I learn a lot from that fight, I got to know, man, my submission escapes are fucking money because he had a beautiful uh, arm lock on me, and I did an escape that was fucking. And what I'm talking about when I did this escape, I had that much in the tank. I had nothing. I had nothing. I could have easily said, all right, take my arm, please. I'm out of here but I got the fuck out with a beautiful escape. So I love jujitsu. So, you know.
2: Chris is waiting to get back in, Miguel. Go ahead.
3: No, no, no.
1: I'm loving listening to all this.
2: Chris is trying to get back in.
1: Oh, Oh. Chris is trying to get back
2: in. I thought you were So with Carol, he's 22 years old, which is shocking for having that much experience. You know, he's got about 25 fights on his record. And there was an exchange in the second round where he waves his finger at Henzo and give, he waves his, you know, index finger and then gives him the middle finger.
3: What, what was it, that? It was, he, it was really to Longo. Longo was saying he's getting tired or something like that. It wasn't Henzo, but he, okay. he thought it was Henzo. So, but you know what sucked about that? I was I was getting fucking tired. So and the other <laughs> day, by me seeing him wave to the other guy and I knew this fucking Caro, he doesn't really get tired. That's the one, it, one strong attribute he had. But the problem with, So Caro, you know, I made it through that fight. You know what I mean? Uh, I was fucking exhausted after that first round. Not to mention I took some shots. And I was taking away all his judo throws in that first round and everything perfectly until I started getting tired. And then all of a sudden he started getting those in the last round. So I'm happy I made it through. But again, that fight, I was coming off a loss. How many months later, they hit me up with the season four opportunity. So... Hey, that fight, the winner of that fight with me and Caro, Carol got a title shot after that. I would have got the title shot. And I'll tell you right now, back then, I don't think I was I was prepared as I was to fight Hughes back then. That he was the champ back then. So Carol got the title shot. Title he tore his fucking hamstring. Next thing you know, he develops a fucking problem. We never the guy's never the same. And we know Fuck, we know my Cinderella story. Bang, bang. Who's the fuck? <laughs> I'm the winner. No, I'm only kidding. Fucking, but the point is, the point is this. He wasn't a fucking gracious winner after that. Carol, you know what I mean? And I seen him after that too. And I'm, and, I, and he's been nice, but I don't know if he got weird. And he's always like, yo, oh, get me on the I podcast. would like to see
2: the weigh-in footage because, you know, you're you're not going to take shit from anybody. That's just who you are. And Carol doesn't mind being a little bit disrespectful up front. Yeah. yeah. I that's I really wish the UFC Fight pass I just want to see the weigh-ins. Even
3: if it's two guys staring at each other and they walk away, I want to see that. Yeah, man. No, listen, he's just got that, he's kind of like an arrogant guy, but he wasn't a, you know, he talks about himself the third person and shit. We know that guy. No, you know, you want to hang out with that guy? <laughs> I don't. But he was a nice enough guy. Afterwards, you know, when I seen him, he'd always be polite and just
2: that. He had Randy in his corner. Randy Couture, and you had Henzo. Another classic battle of just legendary corners. You've you've very blessed with that in your career.
3: Oh shit, yeah, yeah, no, I know for sure. I got to work with Randy a lot. So did Chris on uh, season four. You know, which is where we're at. We picked his brain, man.
2: So uh, the Ultimate Fighter season four, Chris. I mean, I, he told me that he got along with you the best as well as Tim Thomas. And in one of Chris's fights, you're very audible. You're almost his corner man.
1: Oh, well, I think I was, wasn't I?
2: He was
3: everybody's corner man. Yeah, you were,
2: you, you were kind of like the team captain. Oh, yeah, for sure. That was
1: uh, a... Un-
3: I, I, I didn't realize that until the, the show came out and then they paint that. But when we were doing it, we weren't really considering me a captain. We were all together, Team Mojo. We'd have fire pit meetings. We were having a blast. We had a good time. Well, our team got along very well. You know, it was funny when we were out there. There
0: were certain people, and they were complaining about hated the house and uh, didn't. I can't have my phone. Didn't like no TV. And I remember, like people like me and Matt were like, "Dude, this is great." I mean, I never got the chance in my whole career to train like that and be around other great fighters all the time. And it was it was great to me. I mean, it was probably my favorite. Training period ever. I didn't get that option ever. And uh, just a good people out there, man. I really enjoyed the guys. You, you know, it's funny, uh, Matt, I saw I was at, uh, the bare knuckle last, last weekend. I saw the Charles McCarthy. You know, and I get along with him, right? He, he, he's a good guy, man. You know, it's just, uh, he, just out of the element there. I think. He's not miserable no more. No, i let telling have I mean, so a lot yeah. of people, you can tell that, that place wore them down. They didn't like it, but I want to stay there forever. I don't need a phone. You know, I don't need a TV.
3: I'm, I was happy as could be. Uh, it was nice. It was. Listen, I looked at it like a, a six week training camp, gladiator training camp. You're getting called to fight when they call you. It was kind of. It was really cool. It was fucking yeah. a whole cool premise. If you went in, if you really wanted it, but if you didn't really want it, you know, it's not the place for you. Yeah. You, one
1: of the things that's kind of messed up about the Ultimate Fighter system, though, a lot of people complain about, is that you can't bring your own trainer. You get given a trainer, and we've all hinted at the story. You know, you're a jujitsu, you've got, you know, you don't bring jujitsu into a fight with Matt Sarah. It's gonna go wrong for you, you know? But they gave you an instructor, Mark Lehman, who's a quality instructor, but you guys butted heads. Why
3: don't you why don't you give us your perspective on that story? Well, I mean, I think Chris could back me up where I don't think it was only me. I think everybody was kind of like Nobody I mean, liked him. He wasn't very really? Not, not one person on our team wanted to work with him at all. He he
0: really quit doing anything on, on our on our team. He would kind of come after about the second day and he'd sit the side and wait for his meal to show up and then he'd take a thing of protein mix and leave. That was it.
3: Nobody wanted to work with him. Yeah. He, he would – He's negative energy, man. Very negative energy. I remember Scott Smith's like, yo, can you show me an arm lock? He's like, what What kind of arm lock? From where? Well, I don't know. Like from guard? He's like, well, when you know what you want to – learn tell me like he was a very oh and then <laughs> yeah, he was, he was oh, miserable like, shit. he would talk shit about like when he's starting to talk shit about hoys, and it's like dude you're a young jujitsu expert you can easily fight but you don't want to do because you don't want to get hit so fucking watch your mouth where are if you want to talk about that on your couch or outside this you're in a ufc training center for all the all of us guys are gonna be fighting each other in that fucking cage right there and you don't get the balls to do it, you should keep your fucking mouth shut. That pretty much sums it up. I don't know, Chris. I mean, that, right? I mean, what the fuck? <laughs> it, like, was, it was
0: beautiful. I mean, you got to understand, especially when you're on there, you, you don't have much to do. So uh, just when something like that happened, it was awesome just to sit there and uh, watch it, you know, rehash it. It, it was just, uh, yeah, it, it, reading the room and knowing the audience, like, you don't talk like that, man. I mean, especially with knowing, knowing some people here are, part of the Gracie family. You know what I mean? So you don't do that. this
3: way not understanding or just a dick and not caring. Either way, it doesn't matter. Yeah, man. So it wasn't only me for sure, you know. No, it, but nobody was it. talking it. He was talking about hoist one time and then when they got it on camera, Dean Thomas is a fucking funny guy. Dean Thomas is hysterical. He comes over. He's the one who came over. He's like, hey, man, he's over there talking shit about hoist. <laughs> I'm like, what? So that's when I went over there. Fucking Dean's definitely the one who gave me he's that. He's Oh, Dean's, Dean's funny. Dean, Dean always was a funny guy. You know?
2: yeah. So. yeah, he uh, yeah, yeah, I agree. He used to do color commentary for the AFC shows, and he would just shit on everybody that wasn't <laughs> from ATT. And, like, I'd be watching the DVDs going, man, is he disrespectful. And we saw, like, Nick Thompson, who eventually got better. Like, he was a total jobber in the beginning of his career. And then he made it to the UFC, went on a hell of a run. I remember Nick going, no, 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 no you're going to publicly apologize because Nick was terrible at the beginning of his quarantine was right. Oh, nice. But uh, funny guy, funny him and Wade Rome. Okay. Pete Spratt, you won by strikes. Um, yes. were you concerned about that fight going into it. You ate
3: a heavy knee. You know what? The knee wasn't, it was awful. Oh dude, it could have been a lot heavier. If that was a little bit more centered, I would, it would have been the first, the uh, boy would have been taking a note from that one. Like, you know what I mean? That would have been the first one where somebody got decapitated Cause it was close, but, uh, you know, I was a little bit, Chris took him out already. So I could, you could have that stress of being Like, Oh, my buddy just beat him like easily. So now I got to either outdo that or I got to, you know, if I don't do it as good, you could think like that, which I didn't, I never not thinking that, but I remember thinking when I first got in the house and I seen him on the other side, I'm like, he is the most athletic motherfucker there is. Like he's athletic. And even in there, he's a little bit older than some of the other guys there, but he was still, I heard beating everybody in all the, all the pyro py, uh, pyrotechnic, not pyrotechnics, plyometrics and all that stuff. like He was <laughs> just he's a freak. So I remember being like, Ah, man, I'd rather fight like Mikey or Rich. I remember just not wanting to fight him as much, you know. So then when I ended up, I kind of wanted to fight Rich Clemente because he was not out of all of them. He wasn't a guy that I was crazy yeah. on. Now we're fine, i'm sure, but like you know, back then I was like, eh, like If you have to punch someone in the face, you know, Pete Sprouts a way stuck in a house inside, with a, a whole bunch Christian. of people. that you have to fight? Yeah. and they don't, they don't leave, they're still there, exactly, awkward. so I kind of, you know, but then when I ended up getting matched up with him, I'm like, you know, when it was him, so I didn't know to the very end who I was fighting, you know, because we kept thinking, and then you saw in the show, he wasn't even thinking about, he was thinking about bowing out, let Rich fight, so I mean, I wasn't wrong to think that, so when I got matched up with him, I was just focused, I was the last guy to fight on our team, and I knew that if I got him down, it'd be a good night for me, you know,
2: you get a, a was how bad was that cut underneath your eye? Was that was I'm my this from the knee, that was from a punch. Okay. The first okay. punch
3: thing got me. It was so then good. you get
2: a – you win with strikes first round. Um you pull into Shoney Carter um five years after your first fight, actually.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Are we talking about getting hit with a back fist again? Is that what's gonna come up? You, you,
2: you, you, almost, you almost got I'm you almost hit it twice. That.
3: Well, listen, str- we talk about strategy, like I talked about earlier with Abu Dhabi. The problem with even in fighting in the house was my strategy was still the same and everybody knew my strategy. So it's not like I had the ace in my, up my sleeve like I did when I fought George, which I really kind of did. I could have, if you see me do any kind of strikes with Shoney, I was landing, but I wasn't committing on hurting him. I was trying just to touch him to be like, all right, I'm doing this, but I really want to do what we know what I want to do. And I got some nice inside leg trips and it was a nice, it was fun, but Holy shit, dude, if I was, with the fight IQ, and I, I should have literally been just teeing off on his. Fucking... <laughs> I could have fucking. I think I could have beat Joni Standing back then, Not, or beat him up enough for him to think it's that way, and then put him down easier. I could have blended it together better, but I was still in that same mindset. You know what I mean? Where I could be dangerous standing, like I threw that kick at Pete Spratt to make him think of something. But and I was all happy about that after the fight. I'm like, oh, you saw my high kick. <laughs> but, you know, it's nothing new to anybody. But, uh, you know, I was still. This is showing he's a 103rd fight. Oh, so that's what I'm saying. He's still dangerous. Rich Clemente he thought he was going to go in there and take a shit on him. You know? Yeah, that. Everybody was chomping the bit to fight Shoney
0: right away, you know? And, hey, Choney, I don't care what you sound He's kidding. a gamer. There's no easy fight ever, man. The dude's got so much experience. He he wasn't even in shape. He threw up in the first workout, but he's just oh, an experienced man. veteran, man. I mean, we had to push him. We There's no way we thought he was going to win that first fight. Nobody did. When he upset him, it was like everybody was in shock. Everybody's taking thanking Matt for
3: coaching him through it. It was hilarious. That was great, though. We had a good time with that. We were so happy for sure. I don't mean so happy for Choney. I don't it's yeah, weird. I, I, Matt, did it surprise you
0: to, like to what extent like your team became so important to you like I thought going in I was gonna be like it's going to be me and I don't really care you know it, it's about me making the end but then like very quickly like that was your family in there it was, it, like I I I really needed you guys in there man it, it surprised me how much my mentality changed
3: from going in to within like a week of being there yeah, because you, you, you developed that bond of uh, of us versus them. And our team was really cool, man. Even our rooms, man. It was, I had a bunk bed with Drago. You're across there with uh, Dean Thomas and another bunk bed. I mean, what, yeah. who, does, who does this as grown-ass men unless you're in a firehouse? You know, I don't know. Like, you don't really do that too often. So for us to be there and having breakfast together, training together twice a day, taking those – van rides when if we're good boys they'll shut the and we're not talking they're all right we'll stop filming and they'll put some music on for us which was orgasmic because we're not it's one thing if you're not if you don't listen if they take away everything like even in jail they got music and shit like you you take away everything and then when you get it again it's just that much better you know but we again so you're going through this whole process with these guys and yeah man you develop good friendships you know we, we had good guys that we didn't have to deal with any really too many idiots at all you know?
2: so, so the finale. I mean, this this is the last fight question I have. The finale between you and Chris. What was this build up like, especially with your family?
3: Uh, it was it was frustrating. It was this is where I was frustrated. Where I was going to pre caner. I was engaged. Mm-hmm. Pre k is where you have to go to these people's houses. It's fucking brutal. You got to go to these fucking couples' houses with other couples, and they're like like told to you about marriage it's something that if you have to get married through the church is what you got to do right dude i'd rather be like play a human frogger and run into traffic i don't it was so fucking Dude, i don't care about your relationships get me to fight i just want to get married Leave me alone but anyway so i remember after that me and my wife we were at the diner and at the time she was going to be a school teacher and i was doing what i'm doing And we kind of needed those fucking benefits. I was looking forward to those. It wouldn't hurt. You know what I mean? I wasn't exactly killing it. And, uh, you know, I remember her telling me, like, look, you know, I know it could be difficult, but I would, you know, and I'll work if I have to. I know we talked about this, but I would really prefer to be a stay-at-home mom. But I understand so I'm like, holy fuck. I remember going to Longo the next day. I'm like, yo, I was fucking duped. No, I'm like kidding. But I was like, yo, <laughs> this is scary, man. If I don't win this fight versus fucking Chris Lytle, who most people think I'm going to lose to, well-rounded, badass Chris Lytle. I'm like, yo, man, there's a big, this is the problem when me and Chris had the fight. There was a big difference between what one guy got and the other guy got. Huge,
2: huge difference.
3: And it affected that fight to the point where, I think, I mean, first of all, I don't know. I haven't watched the fight forever. You'd really have to go back. And I don't know how are you judging it. People it's hard to watch totally different ways. They saw, well, all right, well, what did he do to him? He didn't get him down. He didn't fucking do his jujitsu on him. No. All right. Well then what did he do to him? He didn't really beat him up. He didn't really, he didn't get taken down, but he didn't really enforce his will. So what are we doing here? Like, so it's a weird, it's a weird, I listen, I don't even know. I wouldn't want to judge it. I don't know. But it was a playing safe, probably by both of us, a little bit, Chris. I right, without I'm, a doubt.
0: Oh, dude, I was, I was, I was scared to death to lose that fight, and so were you. And, and with the price differential and all the title fight implications, I look well, back. What to was like, the
2: difference in price? Let's about two hundred
0: grand, approximately two hundred thousand dollars in a title shot.
2: And what was if you lost?
3: 10, about 10, a ten thousand. <laughs> it was bad, dude. It, it wasn't good. It was scary. I mean, not-
0: looking back, it, they should. Ne- I, I, I never wish that upon anybody, man. Because just a three to four month buildup, thinking about that and the, uh, the fight. I mean, look what happened. It wasn't a good fight. There's no way you could. I mean, it wasn't an entertaining fight. It, it can't be, man. I mean, how many of those fights are usually good? Not many, man. I mean, they're just. I, I don't think they should ever do it like that again, personally. That's but my. But doesn't the PFL do that? Doesn't
3: one person get a million? The other guy get like fucking something? Right? I don't know. I don't yeah. know. I remember talking to Chris Wade and i will be like, yo, is there a big difference between Because I've never been thinking about us. And he's like, yeah, there's a fucking <laughs> It's not like one guy gets a million when he and the other guy gets like half a million. I don't think it's like that shit. Really? I, think, I, don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know the ins and outs. so I don't want to talk too much about it. But I remember thinking like, mm-hmm. oh, it's kind of like what we had to deal with, you know? So that's why yeah. I remember, you know, whatever. Like So then, you know, they so three judges, two sort they, they all saw it's oh it's not even like a 29 28 it's like some <laughs> people saw 30 27 two of them and 30, 27 for the totally other way it's just crazy it was it was weird man it was a weird thing i mean i don't know you know i was just happy that it obviously went my way you know like oh, yeah. I'm happy about that and that's something to be happy about but i at the same time i kind of felt you know me and chris were tight so it was weird you know yeah. and joe, yeah. silver, that, joe silver that little fuck he really did get us to fight each other again Like a little that That, you see, that's what that's the only thing
0: that really bothers me about. And I I don't think I've told this before on here, but like Joe Silva, when Matt told me that, it really bothered me. Like Joe called me, it's like, okay, I gotta, you know, find the Indianapolis, I gotta fight for you. He told me, Matt Sarah, I remember I was like, man, I don't want to, I don't really want to do that, you know, I I don't want that. And he's like, you know, they, they said, well, you know, he's in, this is what we want, you know, and I was like, man, you know, I'll do whoever you want, but I don't really want this fight. He tells Matt, I've been begging for this fight mm-hmm. for years. And I'm like, man, it man. made me feel I'm like, dude, Matt's hold on. my, Matt's my buddy, man. I, I would first of all, I didn't think the first fight was that entertaining. I don't think people want to see it again. Well, you know, and, and then second of all, I was like, there's a hundred people I could fight. Why do I want to fight him? I don't want to do that. And then, Kinda got I, I, but i didn't he know would. he did that i don't know why would he do just tell me i'm fighting him and i'll fight him i don't care you don't have to blow smoke up my ass or his that's bullshit man you i like it man so it really bothered me that he did that that's my least favorite thing i can say about joe silver yeah
3: um yeah he, he 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 got full of himself in that little fucker Maybe the beginning i used to be because i used to i'm like a comic book nerd so i used to talk to him about all that stuff and and I remember towards the end, like, he used to just, like, kind of, like, be a big shot. You know, he's He, at the end, was a, such a fucking douchebag. And he thought my fight, and he thought our last fight that I had with Chris, where I'm like, yo. And then when we, so when we got matched up again, and I'm like, you know, and he told me all that about Chris. And I'm like, man, then we talked, actually, before that, we fought, and I'm like, we found out that was bullshit. But then we're already contracted the fight. So I'm like, dude, I was so, like. That was a weird one. I'm like, dude, what are yeah, you
2: two are professionals? You know, if you're
3: going you you to fight, you have to fight. I mean, it is what fight, it is. You know?
0: I mean, I don't really ask who to fight. And, I, and yeah. if they tell me to fight, I'll fight them. But if like, I like, we brought it up to him, like, Joe, why do you say this? And he changed the so subject. He, he was saying that. I mean, I remember we skated past That's a quick way him. to get yeah, slapped. Yeah, that, that bothered me a lot. That he, because that makes me look like I'm talking about my buddy and I would never do that. You know what I mean? Yeah,
3: it was, he, he handled it sleazy. But you know, we don't got to see that little fucker anymore. But uh, (laughs) it's weird what power does to people. You know what I mean? It's crazy.
2: Yeah, he's pouring oil in the vinegar. For like that fight
3: sucks, and it's like, dude, I know you got to be realistic about you got to be at your job, and you might want to say, but there's a certain you should still have a certain tack and you know etiquette when you talk to people. He he went to the Mark Lane School of of Etiquette. What's that?
1: I was just saying he went to the Mark Lehman School of Etiquette, I guess.
3: Yeah. yeah but Mark, at least Mark Lehman could actually defend himself. I mean <laughs> I mean, I'll take my dick out and beat him over the head. I'm bang, bang, I <laughs> gotta be out. Know, he's like a little fucking jawa. He's like a little fucking thing. I don't know. I'm not a tall man.
2: <laughs> did you uh, did you ever tear your bicep and never get it repaired?
3: Oh, hundred percent, man. I used to have two look at that. That's awesome. Oh, that's not so. Weird. Oh, lemon at the lemon. And then, you know what's funny about this is that uh, that happened getting ready for Kelly Delante. So when I, so two weeks before, dude, I couldn't. I had a bad arm, bad, bad. I know, the guys were worried about me. But I go, dude, this is my first time cutting down to one fifty five. So I went to the doctor, and the doctor was like this old navy doctor. He was cool, and he goes, "All right. Now if you get it fixed, he goes, could you turn a key?" I go, "Yeah." He goes, right, you're going to lose strength in it. You don't need surgery. The surgery would only be for cosmetic reasons, so it don't look like that. <laughs> so he goes, otherwise, you don't need the surgery. Because my thing is, I wanted to still fight. Yeah. He goes, well, look, if you get the surgery, you can't fight, obviously. But if you don't get the surgery right now, you can't get the surgery. You'll be stuck with that bicep. Wow. And I go, look, man, I'm no fucking, you're not looking at Fabio over here. I'm no pretty, boy. Bu- I want to fight. You know what I mean? So I ended up fighting, and it's my one submission. If I would have fought and got my ass kicked, that would have been like, anytime I looked at that mutant arm, I'd be like, oh, why? <laughs> but now I look at this just like I look at this badge of honor that our buddy Chris Lytle gave me. Like, oh, I fought 11 minutes with this vagina on my head. And, you know, it's a badge of honor. That's how I look at it. At what time did you notice that your level of
2: fame was changing? Because you're very recognizable now oh, I love it when
3: they go, oh, can I have a picture? I go, yeah. They go, oh, I can't believe it. Dana White. I go, what the fuck? And they're like, oh, I can't believe it. It's you. I go, oh, thank you. You're a fight fan. They go, I love it. Joe Rogan. I go, what? So listen, uh, that's why you don't take it too seriously because they didn't see you on TV. <laughs> but uh, you no know what? No one helped out with that shit. Was the uh, was Dana White looking for a fight actually is helping out with that? Really? I think really? so. Because I think it's because I've been Ford, I mean Chris Ford fucking eleven Ten years ago. ago. Yeah, Eleven yeah. years ago, dude. Damn, bro. The, the fact that I could be relevant anyhow is fucking beautiful. The thing I do with is so much fun. And then because people watch they listen to unfilled in some of them. And uh and then the thing I do with Dane is pretty cool because a lot of people I think watch that show, Dana White looking for a fight. So I have a good time sure. with that. You know. Hey, it's I,
1: I got a call a quick cleanup question. I, you referred to it, but officially nowadays the match between you and Fetosa is listed as a forfeit. But you, you I remember you guys rolling. Like you guys it's listed
3: as a forfeit on your yeah. wiki. Oh, I have no I don't know what that. I don't know what I don't know what's on my I don't know I never checked. But that thing. but you
1: guys rolled for twenty minutes and and he won it on points is what I remember. He, he
3: won because he won because I he was attacked. I jumped the guard. I jumped the guard and they gave him a neg- they gave me a negative point. Okay. So I remember I would be getting him in all like I'd be attacking his legs getting him in things and like I remember Hoyler Gracie and I'm on record for saying this you know something's right when it never changes Hoyler Gracie came because everybody knows what happened. Started up afterwards, Hoyler Gracie came up to me. He goes, man, you almost won by accident. <laughs> 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 I was putting it on him, but then, you know, I took a little off, and I remember losing by jumping to the guard. It they, they was so good that afterwards, the ref that was there, he goes, man, why'd you jump the guard? Like, we're doing good. Mm-hmm. I'm like, uh, why? Because fucking hands on top. No, i but i go like, oh, but uh, no, man, listen, I don't regret anything, you know? No regrets here. Yeah, yeah. No. no, I
1: did. The forfeit is probably, you know, I'd rather have
3: that. I don't even know what that I don't even know what that means. No, I like, could but, I could,
1: I could see the Sheik, because the Sheik really does care about the sport. I could actually see the Sheik asking Henzo and Henzo being honest about hey, you know, so therefore it got made a forfeit on their database. Because the Henzo Sheik, isn't gonna lie to the guy. What's, what's great no. about the
3: Sheik, man? I don't know if you know too much about the Sheik, but like he came to Henzo's when I was a purple belt with some English guy and he was training. And uh, and, and I didn't know who he was. And like I, was, when I did well with him, I remember, like, you know, and he was good back then. So mm-hmm. I remember following me to the elevator, smiling, and I'm like, all right, five was on the fifth I'm like, all right, I'm like, that was kind of weird. What a nice guy though. So then later on, Hensel told me who he was. I'm like, oh, wow. So when I ended up going, that was when I was like a purple belt. So I went into Abu Dhabi years later and I remember him shaking my hand and, and not letting go and saying how impressed he was with me in the tournament, with how I did, and he was very nice and he was very warm. And because of what happened with me and John Jock, because I think he was a fan of John Jock, and he remembered, and Hendo and him are like this, you know. So I remember now. This is years later. I went to Fight Island for the first time, and Henzo had to go meet with him. And I, not I'm sorry, Dana had to go meet with him. So I go Dana, I go Dana. I go look, man. I go when you see him. I go. I go. I go. I go. Bring me up. I go show him a picture, because. And I go. He goes. All right. Yeah. So I seen Dana after that, and I go. Hey, He goes. Hey. He goes, because I guess they, they were filming and they were showing the looking for the... It was looking forward to a fight because it was in Abu Dhabi. Danny goes, hey, the first thing he said to me is going, you look at that little Italian guy with Henzo? He goes, he, you brought him... He knew, he remembered me from back then, which was pretty... I mean, I don't know. That meant something to me because cool. it was 20 years ago. You know what I mean? Almost. I mean, when I was there, it was a couple of years ago. So it was close to 20 years ago and he remembered me from that. So I don't know. That was pretty... That, was, that felt nice. That makes you feel good, yeah. How many, how many matches have you seen since then or whatever? So, I made some kind of impression on the guy. So, that was yeah. cool.
2: Well, you never took it easy out. You know, you, you, you treated him like a teammate.
3: You know, that guy, I'll tell you, he, he uh, with his story, he loved jiu-jitsu so much, he never talked about who he was. So, he went to uh, Horion Gracie's. I don't know if you heard about this. He went to Horion's Gracie's Academy first in uh, Torrance. And he was very, like, just a regular student and I don't know how great he got treated by Horion or whatever. Cause then he went to Nelson Montario's and Nelson Montario was an old school jujitsu guy. And he goes, look, I want you to be my jujitsu coach. I want to, he goes, Hey man, you're a nice guy, but I don't know. You know, listen, I got a business here. And then he let him know, Hey man, I'm a prince. This is like out of a, it's like out of a Disney movie. It's like, I'm really a, fuck. <laughs> it's like the, the witch that got taken out of the castle. And next thing you know, it's really a, fuck. you didn't know it was a witch. And I don't know, but mm-hmm. it's one of those things where, do know you gotta treat everybody right. Like you know, that's why him and Henzo are so tight. I don't know if Henzo knew who he was when he first got there. I'm not sure about I don't know about that. But Henzo's the one who told me that story, and Henzo was friends with Nelson, so maybe maybe it is the seven degrees of yeah. Kevin Bacon. But my point is you treat everybody right, because you don't know, it could be a fucking prince. <laughs> you know?
1: Yep. Yeah. I got I got one more question. I'm getting really nerdy here, but yeah, I'm done. You you, you mentioned Kelly Delante, and you you mentioned actually after that fight that you and Ray Longo walked into the uh, the audience to watch the rest of the fights. Yeah, maybe this could be a tease for next time because you you guys probably watched Matt Hughes fight there, and that became a little rivalry years. Do you remember picking him out, watching him in particular,
3: or did you start hating them later? Well, let me tell you, just the odd but well, in, in that fight. In that card, I remember Pedro Rizzo knocking out Andre Arlovski. I remember that. That Mm, that I don't know why I remember that, but I remember it. Uh, But no, I've always got. This is going to shock a lot of people. I've got along with Matt Hughes up until the Ultimate Fighter season four. I've got every time I I remember when I lost to Dean Thomas, he was at the bar in Atlantic City, and uh, he goes, "Hey man," he goes, "I can you know you can help me with my jujitsu. I can help you with your wrestling and." And he was, a, I remember being nice. He might have had a couple of beers, I don't know. But we. I always got along with him. I always got along with him. I thought he was a nice guy. We talked. And then season four happened. And I saw how he was treating George St. Pierre. Yeah. Chris was there. And I remember we left the restaurant. And we went to some kind of soup, a Japanese place. I don't know what it was. So I remember we left. And I remember him... Picking on George, I I still sounds weird, but George is like a nice. I'm gonna defend George, but I hate bullies from what we talked about earlier. And I remember him just being like, "Hey George," they were scheduled to fight, right? And Aaron and and Matt already beat him once. I remember him going, "Hey George, you want to work together?" You and George is like, "Oh, okay. I show you something. You show me." (laughs) And he goes, "Yeah." He goes, "Maybe I show you the defense to the arm lock." And he was just being a guy. and George is like, well, you <laughs> know,
0: like, like,
3: like, he's there with, I think, uh, Rich Frank Franklin,
0: a couple of those, like his buddies, you know what I mean? Yeah. So he's feeling like he's, he, he's feeling jokes, and George is over there with us, and he's having their laugh. <laughs> so, and George, uh-huh. you gotta understand, George is like overly nice, very Canadian. Uh, yes, I, that, that's, I will do that. Yes, and then just kind of look at you can tell it's kind of making him uncomfortable, like, man, that's not cool. So, that's one thing you gotta love about Matt is. If you're in a room and there's five people hanging out talking, and one guy's like not included, Matt will bring him in. The co- he's that kind of guy. hey, cool. he bringing him in, Super like you want and, that. and you could just tell it bothered him that they were doing that about George. So, um, you know, like I said, you just spend enough time with somebody, you see who they are as a person, and, and that's when you talked about the thing with Muhammad Ali. Yeah, if you, if you see somebody being a dick to somebody else, they'll treat you like that if you were in that position too. So I get, and, and you're guilty by association, but. That's why I always want to surround myself with people like Matt, because they're just good, always going to be good people, man. And, and mm-hmm. you, that's right there when that riff, man, and everybody's kind of like bringing it up, like,
3: man, I mean, he kind of knows how they're treating George? I mean, it's kind of a, kind of a dick move, right? You know, and everybody saw it. We forget that this camera's on us when they think, because we're always just being ourselves. So they got me in the bus being like, Yo, that Matt, he was a bit of a jerk off. Huh? <laughs> mm-hmm. Because I'm honestly like, I never seen him like that. So I'm like, wow! I like I was shocked. I'm like, what? A, and I kept going, like, what a jerk off! So obviously they have it on film, and I'm not—I'm trying to hide it, but it's like, you know. And then it worked out anyway because we got to fight each other. But you know, I'm, you know you're not you know—you're not going to click with everybody. No, Chris, you want to take us out of here,
0: man? Like I said a long time ago. Definitely not even one of my favorite guys in the sport, just in general. Um, every time I'm with this guy, it's a lot of fun. I really appreciate not only all you've done for the sport, uh, but just spending some time. And I'm just glad we got to go over your history, let everybody know, because this is important stuff to me, where you came from and how you developed into the, the person you are. is, is uh, It's going to be here forever now. I just want people to be able to understand that. So thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. Um, We love doing this and and getting people's word out there, man. And if you have
3: anything you want to talk, go ahead and do it again, man. I don't care. Man, no, me. I just got, you know, I got the UFC Unfiltered podcast. It's the the official UFC podcast I do with Jimmy Norton. That's Dana White looking for a fight. Other than that, you can find me at Sarah BJJ in Long Island. I'll be there later today teaching the kids class. What is going on with me? (laughs) And then then maybe pulling some guys out the strangle, man. This is a fun post-fight career and this is uh, you know, I couldn't be doing a, I couldn't be in a happier place. This is good, and I'm happy for you, Chris. Man, you you always seems like you got something going on, and I want, I hope your podcast. This was like a Rogan podcast. You know what we at, two hours. What are we? Oh here? yeah, we, 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 get we get some people.
0: We get some people get. on here, and they just love it, and then let's talk for three hours. We're like I'm like, I gotta go. <laughs> just keep yeah, talking, man. man. Shit. Well, you know <laughs> I can funny. talk.
3: I, yeah. I you know I can talk, man. So listen, man. Hey, hey how's the body feeling, being? dude? How's the body feel, dude? Are you doing all right? My knee, for, I'll tell you right now, my knees fucking suck. I need, I literally need two new knees. But having said that, I could go, I could roll. I could still roll. I roll better than I walk. Like I'm going to Disney wow. with my family like a week. And I'm not going to walk around Disney all day. I'll fucking get in a motorized cart and put a fucking thing no. on my leg. And I swear to God, I'm not doing this. No, I'm not doing it. I'm fucking, And it's not that I'm not, dude. Man, I'll show you my abs right now, man. Come on, man. man. I'm in shape. I'm in fucking shape. I can roll. I wrote my brother who was 300 pounds. I put that guy on me. But I'm not, dude. I need my knees are bone on bone. So like, I eventually need two new knees. I'm pushing it back as far as possible. My wife's like, what about your, your um. Quality of life. I like, go. Oh, I'm having a fucking ball. I I don't want to have to fucking run miles and shit. I don't mind taking a few edibles and jumping in a fucking motorized cart around Disney. That might be my favorite part. <laughs> what about suicide? I don't know if kids listen to this, but listen. My my point is this. My point is this. Eventually, I'm gonna do, need new knees. You know. But uh, you know, I'm gonna push this as far as possible. Cause again. I could still do the stuff I like to do right now. Do you microdose? I was like, Man, my, if my thing was running, I'd be like, oh fuck! But it's not. I did that for ages. I could still roll, gee, no gee. I could roll and I could teach my. I, if I'm out, if I do my new, both my knees, you got to think that's got to be close to a year out. No fuck. Do you microdose? Oh, is that long? Maybe not that long. I don't One so on year? I don't know. What do I? Hey, have? have you ever microdosed? Am I going to be able to roll <laughs> again? That's my biggest thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. You know, so I don't know, guys. But yo, but to answer your question, I'm feeling good. I can't complain. Okay, good,
0: good.
3: <laughs> Thanks, and uh, I appreciate you guys having me, man. And we'll do this again for sure. Definitely, me, definitely. call me back. I think we come back and covered everything. <laughs> it's just just we're, beautiful we're to just. hear the
1: accent again. Thank you. Thank man. you. Wait, <laughs> real quick, one more. Do
2: you
3: have you microdosed with psilocybin? What is what is that again? For my knees.
2: Microdose psilocybin. For your brain. It's
0: for your brain, really.
3: Oh, what is that? Is that like a mushroom thing? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Like the little, little bits of it, not a bunch at once.
2: To kind of help the brain function.
3: You know what, man? I, the, the, you know, I'm a big, you know, like, uh, marijuana guy. Like I like that, and that's all I do. And I and listen, I could, I got my maybe my kids are downstairs, I'm gonna yell, but I could smoke and I could roll. For hours, and I didn't do this. I didn't do this when I was fighting, because I would be afraid of getting tired. And but, but, but nowadays it's weird. It's actually like an aid for me. And I'm not Eddie Bravo. I'm not here trying to champion. Nothing. I'm just saying, uh, it the, the 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 reefer helps my rolling and my training at this point. You know what I mean? To be honest mm-hmm. with you, I'm not a pill yeah. popper. But Good. as far as doing anything with mushrooms or any kind of micro, hey amen. I'm already fucking out of my mind. I don't want to fucking, I don't want any kind of drugs. I'm totally against. I never did any kind of powder, or any kind of weird shit, any hard shit. But I do do a lot of uh, weed. But it, um, again, it helps me with my. I'll smoke. Good for you. I want to do two things when I smoke: attack my wife or just strangle people. So it's good for me. <laughs> it's
1: funny, you know. You got you got Matt, Sarah, you got Eddie Bravo, you got the Diaz brothers.
3: That's pretty high-level fucking advocates <laughs> for marijuana, but You know what I mean? Not man, bad man. talent. Hey, listen, at, at my age, if, if, if my kids are doing it at 20, trying to train, I'd say, no, you don't need this shit. Uh, but at 47, fuck, it works for me. Excellent. <laughs> well, guys, guys. hey, man. Thanks, thanks, man, thanks again.
1: Appreciate your time, brother. Thanks, guys. Well, Mike, another Lights Out podcast in the books, and uh, my hat's off to the MMA detective. We, uh, <laughs> we got, we got uh, Matt Sarah the Terror on our side at the very beginning of the interview, and I think we had a great interview the whole way through.
2: Did we accomplish the goal of appearing like a psychotic ex-girlfriend?
1: Yeah, uh, you know, that's what Chris calls you. I, I, I just like to call you thorough okay okay okay. i think probably a very thin line you're almost yeah, well, cyber, it's, between the, yeah it's the same thing really but <laughs> yeah.
2: well here, we got another world champion dude you know it's our our third world champion
1: yeah yeah and you know like we i i, I like it because like i think he had fun like it, it's one of those yeah. guys that that show like you know he doesn't yeah. mince his words or, or hide his emotions and stuff, but I think he was having fun going down memory lane and, and talking through a bunch of stuff like that. So it definitely worked out. I love the New York accent, and, you know, everything he does is good.
2: Well, what I took from this is you got to look at him as a person. If you burn that bridge one time with Matt Sarah, that's it. Like, he's not – he's pretty much done with you, and it's, I'm not saying done like he hates you. It's just done with you in terms of being personable with you and you know when he talked about Phil Veroni talked about Joe Silva he was very candid in both of those you know conversations and then you kind of look at his relationship with Dana White the balancing act that Dana has to play with all of the plates in the air make it incredibly difficult for him to have relationships long lasting relationships with people that he works with i mean that that that's a fact and for Matt and and Dana to be so close and and You know, Matt saying, yeah, you know, we just we 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 have a really good relationship. It just kind of tells you that, you know, Dana's word, which everybody talks about as being good, you know, kind of carries over. Because I think if that bridge was ever burnt with Matt, it wouldn't matter who you are. He's going to treat you the same, whether you're an attorney, a waiter or the president. He's giving you the same treatment in terms of his time. And um, I I took I took a lot away, a lot away from this interview. I thought, it, I thought it went really well.
1: Yep. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for all the uh, honesty there about all the Abu Dhabi stuff and things like that. And, and, you know, talking about that, I think Henzo's a guy in a tough position too. You know what I mean? He's he's over there, friends with the guy, you know, who's running the tournament. And, yeah, you know, he got a, he got some of his friends to go over there. That's not, you know, a bad move or anything like that. And, and then – they all happen to start, you know, getting into the money and stuff and things start to get complicated. I can tell you this, Feitosa, the guy who Matt sat for and who did Enzo, the, the fastest submission, the attorney before, is a good, hardworking guy. To my knowledge, I don't think he was an MMA dude. So in other words. When Henzo and all those guys are off doing MMA, he's the guy who's back at the academy teaching the, the classes. So it's a guy like you could honestly see Henzo's really doing the right thing. He really is, you know, wow. like per, per his vision and his people. He's taking care of a guy who's always helped them and always been at their back. Get There's nothing wrong with that. I, the the, the guys, truth is, if Sarah had won, it would have been better for the whole Gracie corporation like his American student winning Abu Dhabi and then going to the UFC and stuff like that. It's a much better story than the hardworking black belt 10 years, you know, at the Academy winning 10,000 bucks, but that was the right thing to do. So more power to the Sheik as well for like not allowing teams and, but for not being really vengeful and banning people or things like that. They just changed the format, created more uh, trials and things like that to avoid that sort of thing. Because it really isn't, uh, you know, if you're on the receiving end and you're not in the money, yeah, you might look at it resentfully, but I, I don't. I think it's just more of what you said with Dana. Henzo was in a real tough position to keep everybody happy there.
2: You know, the, the, the thing is also it speaks volumes of the Gracie system. You know, you've got the best grapplers in the world, and then the finals you've got Henzo's first American black belt versus a guy that's been holding down the fort in Brazil, as you said, for the last 10 years. And I mean, if there isn't a a bigger example in that ADCC of a system working, you know, you'd probably be hard pressed to find one. I mean, it's
1: there were definitely factions among the Gracie's and the Brazilians, you know, other factions started to show up. And uh, but Enzo was definitely one of the dominant ones. And there's a reason for it. Part of it was that, you know, he's a master on the mat and he's a master, you know, behind the behind the doors, too. So, well, anyway, I mean, let's think about
2: this, Miguel. How many times have you seen people? You work for ADCC for you know about a decade, with the people constantly having their hand out trying to get money. It's a huge turnoff to the higher ups in the ADCC program, and now you've got Henzo Gracie just going, "Hey, wait, wait, wait a minute! I just got the fastest submission a year ago in order to grab the twenty five hundred bucks, and now we got this going." You know, in 2001 between Sarah and Fiatosa, that's also a balancing act that's that's not an easy one to handle. So yeah, you know, like you said, Henzo Henzo is a master of more than just on the map. I agree. Yeah,
1: there's and I, at least in my eyes, I think I could see I could see the way it, it went down, and that he was trying to do the right thing. So, like and that's great in their cap because it's not like, well, I get more money, I don't think it was. I get a bigger percentage from Feitosa, so like he was pocketing like that doesn't even really with Hensel click. I think he was trying to take care of the guy who taking family care of business. And Feitosa, family Feitosa business. was a loyal Gracie black belt for you know, and he still is. So my hat's off. And, and, and look at Matt.
2: Here. Matt's also a loyal student. I right, mean, that's... Know,
1: and, and Matt tells the story, but. You know, Matt, Matt will go to war for Enzo. still. You know what I mean? It's like it doesn't – it didn't affect him. He also understood it, and that also plays into it.
2: Yeah, I agree. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, please like, share, subscribe. We are growing at a, a, a very, very fast pace, and we greatly appreciate it. Um, you know, if, if you guys could just like, share, subscribe, leave us a comment. It would be awesome. And, and, Miguel, I know this is probably late in the podcast. Let me tell you something about our guy, Crowbar. This guy is pushing our stuff on a lot of the message boards, sharing our stuff. Thank you so much. Gangers Conrad has come on board to help us break down times, bro. We've got actual people that are helping us with the podcast, Miguel.
1: Yeah, that's, that's very nice. And, and I like them because, you know, you can get interns and you can get people to help like that, but if they don't know fights, it really is a, uh, a, uh, uh, an impediment to, to to really get a lot of work done. So, and these guys yeah. are right there with us. So hopefully, uh, you, you know it starts to show within some of the timings and things like that that are available to the people.
2: And and, and you know, like uh, you always refer to this as a master class of mixed martial arts. It really is. Like this is not a beginner podcast. This isn't one of those things where you know I've watched three or four fights. I'm going to check it out. This is pretty much for the diehard fans. So anybody coming on board to help us out, I mean, it's, they're one of us. We're all cut from the same cloth, and it's greatly appreciated. And, you know, we're all doing this out of pocket. We're not making a single penny on this. So the more content that we're able to put out there, I think the more appreciative the people are. And, you know, maybe one day we can turn the corner on it. But as of right now, you know, we're all doing this out of generosity, care, concern. So any like, shares, and subscribes would be greatly appreciated. So, Miguel, I think that takes us out of here.
1: Yeah. How do you top Matt Sarah? We'll see what we got in the store.
0: <laughs> Check out the full interview on iTunes, Spotify, and all major podcast platforms.